Listening to Talk of Spirit Anime Cast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined here with Chris. Yo! Today's episode is our spring 2021 anime season reviews. We got a large sum of shows to go through, and plus we're we're debuting the squeaky chair. The squeaky chair. Yes. yes. Everybody wanted to see the squeaky squeaky I, I mean, chair, and now it's there's that's the important thing right yeah. now is that that is the only thing that has changed. I hope everybody <laughs> will enjoy that we are doing video podcasting now. <laughs> Not live yet. I want to want to get us comfortable with how we have things set up before we start messing with that because it's a lot of work to put things together. But yeah, the chair has made its debut. It's not even in the frame. It's not technically. <laughs> there it is. There is the chair. <laughs> Andrew's old chair from a long time ago. Chris decided not to to spare it. Yeah, death apparently. <laughs> uh, but yeah, for those that are unaware. We do have our podcast, of course, on uh, iTunes and all that kind of good stuff, Spotify. But, yes, yeah, so you can check us out on YouTube as well, so you can see us there. And, um, yeah, like I said, we have a whole bunch of shows to go through, including Godzilla Singular Point Full Dive. The Ultimate Next Gen Full Dive RPG is even crappier than real life. 86, The Saint's Magic Power is Omnipotent. Vivi Fluorite Ice Song, How Not to Summon Demon Lord, SSS Dinazenon, Super Cub, Record of Ragnarok, Zombieland Saga Revenge, Eden... Don't Toy With Me, Nagataro, and Odd Taxi. I think it's a spring thing. Like Whenever spring comes around, a whole bunch of Netflix stuff drops, and then Andrew's got to get all <laughs> caught up. So it ends up causing a big issue there. But I tried to keep up with as much as I could. Yeah, it's it's a lot to catch up with. Did you watch Eden at least? Because that was only like four mm. episodes. No? Okay. Well, not missing much. <laughs> One of these days, Spoiler. we'll actually get ro- uh, get that on my Roku. So Yeah. Fun stuff, though. Fun stuff. Anyways, we should probably jump into it because we have a whole crap ton of stuff to go through. Should we address it? Do we need to address it? I don't know. Do we? What are we addressing? The, the thing that's changed. Other than the chair. Other than Well, I, I thought that the chair was the most important thing. I mean, we could have gotten a cardboard box out here and done the whole unboxing thing, but that just seemed like way too much work, so I'm like, nah. <laughs> that's too much work. I'm not doing it. Get in a, get in a cake? We could have done a cake. That was even more expensive. I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> the alien cake thing all over again. We don't need to address that one again. 
Uh, anyways, Godzilla Singular Point. Let's jump into it. Uh, let's start off with Godzilla Singular Point. This one is Godzilla SP. Uh, ran on Netflix, ran for 13 episodes, done by Studio Bones. The source is original. The genres are action, sci-fi, mystery, mecha. Uh, the writer was To Injo, who did the Empire of Corpses from Project Ito. I won't say Project Ito Project, but it's Project Ito. <laughs> That's the other cool thing. If you watch the video podcast, you get to see my crappy notes. So there's going to be little nuggets in there. Like I put notes and the notes have like things that I don't want to forget. And so they're like completely out of context and they seem weird at, at face value. <laughs> so that's that's the other thing. And then you can see like my weird layout that I usually do with every podcast. Because, of course, at some point we kept messing up names and people were getting mad. So I decided to make outlines with pictures of characters and their names. Just so people don't make fun of me <laughs> getting names wrong, even though we cover shows like, 30-some shows a season. We have to remember all these characters' names. Anyways, for those that have not watched Godzilla Singular Point, essentially follows two people, mainly two people. Uh, May, who is a graduate student, and she is currently investigating some kind of problem at a facility in place of her professor, who is currently unavailable. And then we also have Yoon, who is an engineer that works at the Otaki Factory, which is like a engineering place that works on machineries and, and robotics and all that kind of stuff. And at some point, both of them are investigating essentially the same problem, just from different angles. He's currently trying to find out where a radio signal is coming from, and she is at this facility that essentially is broadcasting. It seems like it's broadcasting the signal. So as they're kind of investigating these things side by side, uh, May is getting more into this whole Shiva Corporation and what's going on there with this weird new material. And Yoon is essentially trying to work on the, their engineering stuff at the same time there is a infestation of these look like pterodactyls so these air pterodactyls start showing up and they're using their big huge robotic thing to fight it and there's this weird red dust stuff that follows the pterodactyls and there's some kind of special aspect of that dust and yeah and as a as a Godzilla thing would lead you to believe eventually Godzilla shows up <laughs> but uh yeah wait 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 wait, wait. Godzilla is in a Godzilla show? Yes. Very surprising, huh? <laughs> Unlike a certain film from a while back that had some weird, I don't know what that thing was, alligator thing? What do you call it? An alligator? Oh, iguana. Iguana, yeah. That ran away from missiles? Because <laughs> apparently missiles hurt him. <laughs> I at some point went down a big old rabbit hole with that whole situation. It was kind of interesting, though. But, yeah. I, I think the best way that I can put Godzilla singular point is that it's one of those things where it has a cool concept behind it because it's a Godzilla thing. And I mean, no no hate to people that like Godzilla stuff. It's not as if Godzilla has like some crazy knowledge behind it in the movies. I mean, yeah, there is a cool bunch of cool theorizing and stuff behind it. But the movies are pretty simple, at least the ones I've seen, which is not that many. So let's get that straight. But yeah, this one is like one of those ones where they have a cool concept behind it. But the journey itself is not... It, it's kind of muddled. And it, this, this is like a prime example. Chris, you will never love this show at all. You will hate this show. And you know why? What is the one thing that you cannot stand besides time? Torturing of characters. Besides that. <laughs> the third thing. <laughs> um, the only other one that comes to mind is characters that don't make sense. In, uh... Fourth one. <laughs> I want to get it eventually. <laughs> Killing off lollies. Techno babble. <laughs> Techno babble. Oh, okay, gotcha. 
So this is one of those ones where it's like it's done by Studio Bones. They did a really good job on it. It's it's a fun kind of adventure type show where there's a lot of kind of action set pieces and it's constantly moving forward. And similar to most Godzilla things, it has this kind of thing where there's, of course, this big happening happening, but then there's people behind the scenes that are trying to figure things out. But it's like, in that figuring that out stuff, it's just a whole bunch of crazy singular singular point slash uh, scientific jargon slash dimensional warping and all this other stuff that's just constantly they're constantly getting into and it's like i i guess i understand what you're saying i i hope you know what you're saying <laughs> i don't know if this means anything okay we're talking about this thing again right re- light reflections and and infinite loopholes and i i don't know i don't care get back to the godzilla <laughs> and that's really where i fall it's like it was a fun ride because studio bones did a good job of making this really cool like run through of this action set piece the monsters themselves were CGI, so there's a bit of a bother there. They do a pretty good job of blending it in with the actual show because there's a good amount of detail in the show and the character designs are really good. But it's like you have the fact that, yeah, I like May. She's kind of that whole geeky dork kind of thing going on with her. And Otaka's kind of over the top. He's like this old guy that's just kind of nuts and senile. And Yoon's kind of very plain. He's just a he's just an engineer geek, so he's very quiet. You have like these characters that aren't really like transcending anything, mixed in with all this kind of techno babble and and sciency babble stuff, and very few kaiju fighting. <laughs> it's like it's a Godzilla thing. You think there'd be a lot of kaiju fighting, and what was even more disappointing is at the very end. You think like the Godzilla fight's going to be the big thing, and. It's very anticlimactic. Like, they, you finally get something of a kaiju fight, and it's, like, over like that. It was like, oh my gosh. really? That's it? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming, because Godzilla, it will continue somehow, because Godzilla doesn't... <laughs> you don't kill Godzilla. Yeah. Come on. But it's like, it was You put so, him away for a while. Yeah, if anything, you're going to hibernate him. <laughs> it's it's about, as, about as much... If, if any... I mean, like again, I'm not big on Godzilla stuff, but I've watched a few of them. I enjoy the Polygon Picture one... But even with the Polygon Picture one, it's like they, they literally stick 50 million nukes inside the guy and he won't die. Like, you can't. You, like, you'll, you'll implant it inside of his belly. It will implode. But he'll somehow live. <laughs> but it was just very disappointing. And that, that's, the I guess, this big troubling thing. And it was very kind of super cheesy with the ending like the ending fight itself. But I don't know. It's like it, the, the ride was entertaining because Bones kept the, the pacing going forward. It had decent pacing. But... It was just very much so marred by the fact that it's just so much of this dumb talk about singularities and junk that really kind of messed it up. So it's it's kind of a hard sell in that regard. It's like I, I enjoy what they did with that singular sciency stuff. Like they did something cool with it, but it's just that journey was just it could it should have been a, a six episode series. I think that's 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 probably would have been like the big fix for it. But it is what it is. It was it was like I said it was. Still enjoyable, just it was really kind of hard to get through at, at certain points. So, yeah, that's uh, it's Godzilla Singular Point. Check that out if that sounds interesting to you. That's uh, again, hard sell. <laughs> hard sell. I see your full die of the next gen full 
dive RPG is even crappier than real life or Kyo Kyo Shinka Shita Full Dive RPG ga Genjutsu Yori mo Kusogi Datarai Datara Datara. This one's straight on Funimation, ran for 12 episodes, done by Studio ENGI. The source is light novel, the genres are action, comedy, fantasy game. The creator was Light Tuchihi, of course, who did Cautious Hero. Uh, the director was Kazuya Miura, who did Usaki-chan Wants to Hang Out. And yeah, this one essentially follows a guy named Hiroshi. And Hiroshi, it seems like he's bullied in school. And at some point, he is kind of hustled out of some money that he had. And after school, he goes to the store to get his pre-order copy of this next great full-dive game that's just coming out. And he's all excited. But when he gets there and he goes to pay for it, he doesn't have enough money because he gave the bullies a little bit of his money into that that funding. So he decides to go to a bunch of different shops, try to find one that was cheaper. And eventually he goes into this shop that's kind of a hole-in-the-wall, out-in-the-side kind of shop. And he meets a the manager there who's Riona. And Riona essentially tricks him into buying. I don't exactly remember how she got him to buy it. I think he was. She's like promised said, him. Here promised it is. Him, promised him. Uh, she was favors. kind of. Yeah, she was kind <laughs> of all over on him. She's a, she's a little temptress, but I think she ended up getting him to like take it in his hands and then took the money and put it in the register and said no refunds. Yep. So he's kind of stuck with it and he's like, no, just try it. And this is this game called uh, Kawami Quest, and this is like an really old outdated failed full dive vr mmorpg because it was failed because it's extremely realistic to the point that everybody just hated it and so he decides you know i want to give it a shot he goes home jumps in there and he's quickly meted by his two in this world this vr mmo game he's meet, met by two npcs who are essentially his characters childhood, childhood friends. friends yeah and while he's kind of talking about you know let's let's i'm gonna go out adventure i, I need to leave the village how do i do that the the Martin, one of the childhood friends, he gets upset. He's like, "No, you you can't do that." And he starts. They start kind of scuffling back and forth and pushing each other. And then eventually, Hiroshi kind of gets up and pushes the childhood friend, and he falls down and somehow manages to impale himself with the knife that he was using to cut apples. And the sister of Martin just freaks out, like screaming bloody murder, and he runs away. And she starts chasing after him, like she's going to kill him for killing her brother. And then that just kind of leads into this whole thing. While he's playing the game and escaping from the law because he just killed his childhood friend in this game, the entire time Riona is in the game with him as a kind of like a community uh, assistant kind of person, one of those people yeah. that'll play MMO games to help other people, you know, rise up. And she's always kind of like this little fairy following him around that nobody can see. And he's just trying to navigate the game and. I don't know. It, I think I said in my first impressions, I don't know why he's playing. I, I literally don't know why he's playing this <laughs> stupid game, but he's still playing this stupid game. I, I think every time he goes to quit it, Riona like just kind of jiggles herself at him, and he goes, "Okay, I'll I'll, I'll press play again." But um, yeah, what's your what's your thoughts on Full Dive? The next ultimate, the ultimate next gen Full Dive RPG is crappier than real life. Well, starting out, I didn't think I was going to like this show at all. I really didn't. Um, I. This this show comes off as really really dark, um, especially scenes how what Andrew just described of basically a childhood friend getting himself in, impaled by a, a, a skinning knife. It was really kind of rough. However, what what I ended up finding that I in, enjoyed about this show the most is its dark humor. At first, it was kind of a little bit hard to kind of 
get the gist of the the dark humor in the show. But after you get over that and you start to really appreciate how they balance the dark humor versus what's really going on around him. This guy, (laughs) he's a... I, I'm sorry, the guy is a masochist when it comes down to it. He lo- he must really love to be tortured because this show really loves doing that to him. And he just keeps on going and, and keeps on fighting. Now, I do understand what they were trying for was kind of this overcoming challenges and realizing that real life is not as bad as what's going on in this game and him going <laughs> Is that over what you got out of it. I got a slightly different out of it, but he will hit him overcoming his challenges and eventually getting to a point where he feels a little bit more, um, of a full person is really is what I got out of it. I don't think that he completely overcame his issues. Um, but it, it, it definitely was a step up from where he was. Um, so I do appreciate it for what it, it did try to do. I'm not going to put this on the top 10 in any way, shape, or form, but I did I did enjoy myself all said and done when I finished the show off. Yeah. I'm mixed. <laughs> so mixed. Yeah, for sure, dark humor is a show. So if you like the whole idea of a, yeah, essentially like, 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 like examples was, okay, the moment that he kills the childhood friend. It looks gruesome. It's kind of shocking. Even mm-hmm. though it is a technically an NPC, we see a character in an anime that's equal to our character. So I think it's a little more difficult to, for us to see that. But it essentially shocks him, and it looks very dark. I mean, he's got blood coming out of the back of his head. He's got this knife through his mouth. And he's running. And so it's like the shock aspect of that. But then he's being chased by a psychotic-looking face, Yandere-looking character who's got a knife. And it's like... And it's got goofy music in the background. I'm like, so is this supposed to be funny? <laughs> Am I supposed to be laughing right now? That doesn't make any sense. And then you kind of have that equally. Like, okay, when he's in the prison and the ghost of Martin's hunting him. And he's got this blood coming out of his mouth. And the knife. I think he still had the knife in there. And he's talking to uh, Hiroshi. And he can't escape the game at the time because he's in an event. And, he, and he's screaming like a little girl. And it's like, again, am I supposed to be laughing at this? Because this is kind of traumatizing. So, it, again, that is that dark humor. And I know there's a lot of people that will probably find that hilarious, but I didn't seem to find it hilarious. Even in times where he's, like, super bullied in this game, like, there's this whole segment where he's trying to train with these other people, and they're treating him like crap. And it's like, again, am I supposed to laugh at this? Because it's not funny to me. This just seems depressing and uncomfortable. And that's where I kind of feel. It's like, I don't... And there was, there was parts where it did make me laugh. Here and there, there was parts where... And I think it's usually whenever they have the first punchline to certain things. Like, Riona gets obsessed with the fact that he peed himself. <laughs> and I laughed pretty much the first couple times it happened. But then after, like, the 50th time of her making fun of him needing to go to the bathroom, it's like... Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> cool. I got it. It's a cool joke. <laughs> you got it. You nailed it. <laughs> but it's like... That's that's it. That, other than that, I, I couldn't really find myself laughing at a lot of the humors. And I, and I do like dark humor. I've laughed a lot of series that have, like... I, I would even call things like uh, The Lost Village to have dark humor in that. And I laughed at a couple points in there. I'd get more of the meme factors, but... <laughs> any rate, what I did enjoy about this series was the human aspect of it. Like, at some point... Hiroshi starts to realize, oh, I did run away from Alicia the moment that she seen her brother die. He starts to 
essentially the game is so realistic and it seems dumb because it's so realistic because, I mean, we all play video games and we're like, man, this is getting more and more realistic. And at some point you realize this is really cumbersome that I have to do this. Oh, they're trying to be realistic. You don't have to go that far. Like, we don't need to have this realistic. I don't need to assemble all the parts to this bomb I'm making. Just give me a little thing that I can select and it gives a little time to make it and it makes it itself. I don't need to put it together myself. That's too realistic. So there's always these barriers that we put in the video games to make it more gamey rather than realistic. And this game was literally being so realistic to the point where at some point he starts to realize, oh, wait, I had a history with these two. Wait, they are technically my childhood friends in this game. He starts to have feelings for things in the game. He starts to be traumatized by death. And that stuff was interesting to me. Like the moment they started hitting on that, I'm like, oh, this is a cool concept. You're doing something cool here. It's just, again, everything else is like is the dark humor that I'm just not really getting. Or, again, it's the jokes that I think are just a little overplayed. So I, I, I really do struggle. I, I, I think it's got a cool concept. I'd definitely watch a sequel of it. And I think yeah. it would be cool to go into. But it's, it's, it's one of those things where I technically str- struggled with the humor itself. Even though I did find a lot of parts of it funny, uh, the overall humor, I think, just kind of missed me, personally. But, again, that's the whole comedy subject- subjective thing. So yeah, if I, I think if you do like dark humor, you want an interesting take. The, like Tuchihi, the writer of this series, he loves messing with the norms. I mean, we've seen that with Kasha's Hero. It's the, literally the isekai, but the person isekai is like, I'm going to make sure there's zero chance I'm going to lose. <laughs> and he super trains himself. It was hilarious. And this was, again, doing that concept of, okay, well, here's a full dive VR game. Let's make it super realistic. And let's make it to where it just, it's just so annoying that it's so realistic. Not just you go in there and you have superpowers or you go in there, you have zero powers and you get yourself beat up. Let, you go in there and you literally, your physical abilities are what the game allows you to do. Like, if you are a, if you're an Andrew, <laughs> you're probably not going to do so well. You're not going to go in there and get an avatar that's, you know, buff and, and, and super athletic and able to jump over huge buildings. No, you're going to be yourself in this game. So it plays on this whole aspect of you are, you know, you are what you are. So the, they actually talked about certain people that went to play the game. One of the funniest parts of the, the, the show that I thought was this point where they were talking about goblins being like, they're super like fast and they're like cut off arms. To, with to, a single get, to give everybody, to give everybody an idea, dude never leaves the first city. Okay, never leaves the first city. Yeah, now technically it's implied that he cleared the first city at the end of the show, but he never left the first city. Technically he didn't. No, <laughs> he did not clear the first city, um, honestly. But no, what's funny is uh, they talk about how overpowered these these are goblins. Usually, yeah. I mean, other than slimes, I mean, I mean, technically another show we're going to talk about in this episode, the slimes are actually pretty scary. <laughs> Other than slimes, goblins are seen as, like, the fodder. I mean, yeah, they're not the beginning mobs. You have to kill rats first. You have to kill slimes. And then eventually you'll get to goblins. They're usually Shoot, kind of I wouldn't very want low to see, on I wouldn't want to see rats in this game. <laughs> <laughs> the, the goblins are, like, super scary. And at some point they talk about, well, has anybody ever beat a goblin in this game? And she's like, oh, yeah, there's a couple people. One was a boxer. <laughs> and it cuts to, like, this shot of this this boxer being interviewed on television in the real world. And they're like, who is the most difficult opponent? And he's like, goblins, definitely. (laughs) It's like, that shows you like this aspect of a boxer 
fighting what you would seem as being like the easiest stuff, even him in this video game has that difficulty because everything is so geared towards your actual self. So it, like I said, that, that aspect was really interesting, but yeah, I, I also didn't really care much for the character designs. How are you yeah. on the character designs? I mean, I did, cute, I but... did, I did like, um, uh, the main two quote unquote love interest. If you want to call them that, <laughs> the I didn't much care. Huh? The moo moo. I didn't care for that. Was the other, I didn't that was care the other hilarious her. part that I really liked was this aspect of at some point, this other character that's like a side character at some point, it gets into, like, this history of uh, Rihanna, who is this girl that sold in this game. And he says exact thing I'm thinking, and I'm like, <laughs> this guy knows me! <laughs> this guy right here! Well, and, so and, and that, the, the, that joke was so funny, I had a hard time holding back on telling Andrew about it. It's, it was I, I did get a big kick out of that that punchline. But yeah, the the the... the Torturer girl and um, the childhood friend girl, I did like them. I, I thought that they looked really uh, – they were attractive, too. Uh, Torturer girl was interesting. <laughs> Her design's I interesting. Um, Very interesting. But they, that everybody has their own own likes for artwork, so. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely different. They definitely went for different. And I guess I can give them that credit because <laughs> they went for different. Uh, but that's a uh, full dive. The ultimate next gen full dive RPG is crap, even crappier than real life. Check that out if that sounds interesting to you. Moving on, we have eighty six. This one was streaming on Crunchyroll for thirteen or e- er, thirteen episodes, eleven episodes. It ran for. Uh, it also has a second season that's going to come out in fall. I believe they they announced it already that they're going to have that in fall. They had a special which was basically a recap. I'm not sure why they even announced that there was a special, <laughs> but. Um, Based off a light novel, the studio's A1 Pictures, genres are action, military, sci-fi, drama, mecha. Uh, the music was done by Sawana Hiroyuki, of course, who done Attack on Titan, Cabinet of the Iron Fortress, Kill a Kill, I'll Know a Zero. And this one essentially takes place in the San Mongolia Empire. And San Mongolia Empire is currently at war with the Gladian Empire. We find out at some point that there was a history of them uh, fighting each other at some point. The San Mongolia Empire... Uh, enacted two things. Their first act was essentially that they would create 86 districts. And they then the second act was that they took all the Alba race that was within this empire, moved them into the 85 districts, and then everybody that was not Alba, they pushed out to the 86 district. And the Alba live within these 85 districts in peace. On the news, it keeps saying about how there's this war continuing with the Gladian Empire, but thankfully... Drones are fighting. There's been zero casualties. It's it's a casualty-less war. Everything's happy. The weather's great. Everything's fine. But through the eyes of one of these Alba, her name is Lena, uh, she is a part of the military there. And through her eyes, what you end up finding out is that the Alba has been basically forcing the folks of the 86 to go out in these juggernaut robots and fight the war for them. As they stay behind these walls and they're all happy and everybody's cheerful and they think there's no casualties in the war. And Lena is not like everybody else of the military. Like I said, the military knows they're sending out these people who they see as pigs. They're like the lesser race. Go out there and kill. If you die, whatever, you're pigs anyways. Lena has been instilled within her, through her father, that this is an injustice. That she sees these people that are actually human. At some point, her father takes them out there, her out there. And she gets to actually see the injustice that's happening out there. 
So she's not okay with this, but she is still in the military and working for them. And she works as a controller. And what these controllers do is they put on this para-raid system, which allows them to link up her hearing with what her platoon is hearing. And there's, there's a way that you can make it to where it does, does more. You can actually see through their eyes if you were to gear it up, but it'll fry your brain, so they don't really do that. But she's able to hear, and she, she has this display that she's able to see what the battlefield looks like, and she's able to issue commands as a controller. And she gets assigned the platoon that is led by Shin, who is known as the Reaper, and he's like this really well-known, great fighter. He's got, like, he's been going, basically gone through plenty of groups that have died, but he's always the one that survives. And she's now leading that group, and she's issuing commands to go out there and, and fight the war, as... She's conflicted by the fact that she's sending out people to their deaths, and she sees them as humans, and obviously at the other side of it, they don't really like the fact that they're being commanded by somebody in Ivory Tower. And so you have this kind of conflict with her being sympathetic and wanting to help them and wanting to correct the injustice that the Alba are doing, but at the same time, she's just keeps running into brick walls. You know, She can't go to her commander and say, stop doing this, and the commander goes, Yep, you're right. <laughs> we should stop doing this. No, it's this is what has been kind of put into place in their history, and this is what they believe, and you're not going to change it overnight. This is not something you're going to fix. So, yeah, this is an absolutely incredible series. I, and it was scary because when I got it, when I came into the series, the first thing I thought was this is going to be like a pilot's love song or something where. Here's all these characters. They're all, you know, you get to know them. Hi, here's the platoon. This girl's super cute. Everybody's fun. Everybody's having fun. And then what they would do with a series like that would, an episode would open up and you'd be in like a backstory of a character. You get to know them. They would have like a crush on somebody and they would be wanting to tell that person what they love. And then dead. And the next episode, oh, wow, there's this person. Aren't they cute? Yeah, let's get to know them. They're good friends with the other person. And also not dead. And they didn't do that. I was very surprised. Now, there is death. Don't get me wrong. This show is not hiding from the fact that this is war. People are going to die. But it doesn't play on it. And I think the way that they did that, and this is something that I think is a hanging point for a lot of people, and I noticed a lot of comments when I was doing my impression videos for this particular series. I think the way they avoided that, and also why it kind of makes some people kind of shy away from the series is it's very much so focused on the drama of what's happening in this world, not so much the battles. And I think the way they do that, essentially, is that there's a lot of focus on Lena. And what is Lena? She's in an ivory tower, not able to see the war. She's able to hear it. She's able to hear somebody playing for their life. She's able to hear somebody gargling blood. She's able to see it on her screen, little dots, and, and signal loss, but she's not able to see it directly. And this is a you know, a main point of the story itself is Lena struggling with the fact that she can't be there with them and she's not able to witness what's happening and they can't see her as an equal, even though she's sympathetic. And that becomes a driving force. of The series is the horrors and the, the drama of the war itself and the inability to stop the segregation and the slaughter of an entire, I want to say entire race, but entire not race, <laughs> everybody, but the Alba essentially, and that was, like I said, that was really technically what I enjoyed about the series. Not so much that I was happy about always seeing Lena, because I did want to see the other characters. And they and they, they they technically do 
kind of a most episodes are kind of like a, a 80 20 so 80 percent will be like lena and then the 20 will be the the, the platoon 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 and then there's like other episodes that where they technically do a 50 50 so there is plenty of time where you'll see the the platoon and everything but like i said it seems like the driving force of the series has always been lena and what she's unable to accomplish even though she wants to now that does create a little bit of frustration and this was like late in the series, so it, it it makes sense that I was it would begin to become a frustration. Is that at some point I realized, Lena, stop! Like either do something or shut up, <laughs> because at some point it's like Lena keeps going to people and saying, "This is wrong. This is so wrong. This is so wrong." And it's so funny to have another character go, "But what are you doing? Like stop it! Like stop acting like you want to do something about it, unless you're going to do something about yeah. it." And again. That technically is the point that I think is exactly what the story is trying to tell is you see an injustice, you cry, but you don't do anything about it. We'll n- we will never see you as an equal. No matter how many times you say sorry, you're not here. You don't get to see these people. You're not your f- they're not your friends. And like I said, the way they portrayed this context was fantastic. I, I was it was it was hard to watch for sure. It's it's tragic. It's it's an injustice that I think that we are technically familiar with in our own history, but it's done in such a really clever way, and it's and it and it's done so respectfully. That, that that's a key thing. It's like like I said before, it's not get to know this character die. You can make an argument that they may have technically done it once, but the context to it is the the way they pulled that off was again respectfully and and just masterfully, masterfully done. I cannot, I cannot wait for a second season because I, I think the cool thing about this series as well is I had – this is the thing that I enjoy doing when I do impressions, especially for series like this or a series like Odd Taxi or Sh- uh, Shadow House is I love speculating on where a series can go. I mean I literally watched Spider. Uh, saw my spider. So what's <laughs> – I think at some point I realized I'm just watching this show to figure out where Kumi- uh, Kumiko is in the, hist- in the future uh, arc. Is – I have these speculations, and I think I know where it's going, and it totally went a completely different direction. And it's one of those cases where, yeah, you can make an argument that sometimes when it goes a different direction, it can go in a direction that you don't want it to go, obviously. Yeah. Uh, there's a certain show we'll I've, talk about. That's plenty of shows that have done that. <laughs> we, well, there's a certain show in this particular podcast we'll talk about where I didn't care much for the direction it went, but it, it went in a direction that I wasn't expecting. It was brave for the writer to do it. And it has me even more excited for where it can go in the future. Now, I can see it going in a direction that's going to be kind of a repeat. And I think I've seen whispers of that. But I'll, I'll wait for the second season to make my judgment on that. Yeah, that has me concerned. It it, it does sound really cool. I, the If it wasn't for as dark as it seemed, um, I I would definitely jump into it. That that one it sounds a lot cooler than it, it came off as from the uh, PVs. And that's that, and that's the I think the thing that I really should point out is it it is dealing with essentially racism. Let's let's not mince words. It's, it's dealing with that. It's dealing with segregation. Um, it's not a one sided thing. It's not just the Alba against the eighty six. There's actually they talk about the fact that people within the eighty six do it as well. The eighty six aren't. It, it, it makes it out as if there's no winners here. The eighty six do have its problems within the eighty six itself with against each other. They're not all good people. But it doesn't make it right, technically. I'm not saying that makes it right that the Alba is doing this to the 86. But what's what's interesting is it's not a 
it's not a graphic show. I think that, I guess that's a good thing to point out. You are going to hear characters say, I don't want to die. Done. But it's not one that's going to show somebody being impaled over and over again. They're dying and they're spitting out blood and stuff like that. It does get a little bit... You, you do know what's happening. It implies what's happening. It just doesn't show it directly. So I guess that's technically a thing to really note for people is it's not visually gore and violence. It's it's implied violence kind of thing. Like I said, you're you're usually hearing it from Lena's perspective. You're hearing people screaming and you know something's happening. You don't see it directly. And that was funny because at some point I didn't know if a character died. It showed a signal loss, but I'm like, I don't know if that character's technically dead. And I it was so funny because at some point I realized Oh, they're doing that for a reason. They're giving you the perspective of Lena. She doesn't know. She doesn't see what's happening. She doesn't know if somebody actually died. She just assumes because the system told her that. And it gives you this perspective similar to Lena, where you don't see the battle. So you don't know what really happened. And I think it was to a point of, again, this is the horrors of wars from the commanding standpoint. And what she's going through, not necessarily... Again, even though I really love it, kick up Sawano Hiroyuki's uh, uh, music and have juggernauts flying all over the place shooting gigantic <laughs> robots, which they do really well. I, I, I almost forgot about that. They use Sawano Hiroyuki's music perfectly. This is similar to something like I don't know, Zero, where they know how to use Sawano's music because he always, he always does these drops, these subtle beats, and then it ramps up. That's Swano. That's Swano's thing. That's what I love about it. Every single song I listen to his is going to have a point where it drops and then it it fires back up. And to use his music, you have to know when those points are and usually put like dialogue there or you know, somebody's trying to think of something they could do or they're scouting out the area. And then the moment it ramps up, kick the animation back up. We're going in there. That's how you use his music is you use those ramping points. And they do that Flawlessly. Now, granted, it's Sawano Hiroyuki, so you're going to have like three tracks and they're going to use it a lot, but mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, I don't care because they use them perfectly every single time, so I'm fine with it. Uh, I, my hope is, and this is a fear, <laughs> don't pull an Ono Zero Season 2 when you get to 86 Season 2. Don't start just throwing his music wherever like Ono Zero did. That's the fear. But um, yeah, it was really fantastic. I'm really enjoying the series. I Like I said, it took a really crazy twist. I'm really excited, but at the same time, I'm afraid of where they're going to go with next. But like I said, I'll, I'll wait and to, to see where that is and decide from there if, if it's going to be in a good direction. I'll probably cover it when that time comes. So I'm excited. 86. Again, check that out if you desire. It has a good chapter close point, so I don't... I don't I, the fear, of course, is suggesting it even though you know it's not finished. And I think, like I said, I think it's a good chapter close point. So I think people are... It's not an, it's not a Netflix thing, people. You can go there and not have a stupid cliffhanger for you. It, it comes a good, solid chapter close. So, yeah. The Saint's magic power is omnipotent. Or as Andrew likes to say, omnipotent. Or Seijo no Mario ku wa beno desu. This one is streaming on Funimation around for 12 episodes, done by Studio Diamedia. The source is a light novel. The genres are slice of life, magic, romance, fantasy. The director is Shota Ibata, who did Girlish Number and Domestic Girlfriend. And the series composition was done by Wataru Watari, who, of course, is the creator of romantic comedy snafu, Girlish Number, Quality of Code. 
And yeah, this follows a girl named Say, and she is a office worker. She's working really late at night. And at some point when she goes home, she opens her door, walks in her front door. She immediately sees a magic circle around her, and it transports her to this other world, uh, the kingdom of Salutania. And in this world, it's it's a fantasy setting. There's magic, and, and it's kind of medieval time-ish, nobles and commoners and everything. And in this world, there is this miasma. And this miasma likes to spread, and they're always fighting back against the miasma. It, it spawns within it monsters that will attack people. And at some point, when the miasma gets too strong, they will summon a saint. And in this particular summoning process, this time... They somehow managed to summon two saints, well, two maidens, and the prince immediately comes in the front, then the door walks up, and there Say is, and this other girl, Ada, Ida, and he immediately looks to Ida, grabs her hand, and they walk out the door, like, this is the girl, this obviously is the girl, and Say is kind of left behind, like, what the heck's going on? <laughs> Well, these other people decided, you know, let's take Say, we'll take this other room, we'll explain what's going on. They explain to her the whole miasma thing and bringing in a maiden. The maiden will be deemed the saint, and the saint will have this magical ability to fight back the miasma. And obviously, the prince has decided that this Ida girl is the saint, and so, sorry, Say, you're kind of stuck here, we can't send you back. Um, we'll, we'll give you whatever you need, kind of thing. It's like, they're very apologetic to the idea that they basically ripped her from whatever world she's in, and, you know, whatever you need, just let us know. And at some point, she ends up running into this medicinal flora research facility, and she immediately is like, you know, I really like plants back in my old world. I'm, I'm really interested in this. Can I work here? And they decide to let her work there. And so she begins to make potions, and what she finds out really quickly is that her potions are 50% more effective. They're, like, more powerful than a normal person making a potion. And this kind of continues on with some other things that she does, this little kind of aspect of her kind of being able to imbue things with a little more capability. And at the same time, off the side, every now and then, you'll kind of see that they're kind of starting to take note of her and her abilities and what she's able to do. And um, kind of the fears of what if she technically is the saint, question mark? Will that affect her? All those kind of things start coming to play. So your thoughts on the saint's magic power is omnipotent. Me and Andrew had talked about this show a few a couple times, and my 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 thing is is I I go back and forth between this and uh, another show that we're going to discuss in a little bit as to which one is my favorite. I love this show; it is so fantastically done. I it it keeps its drama moments really well done. Um, the uh, quote unquote romance, if you want to call it that, is 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 there throughout the entire show it it works up really well um the the characters themselves are fantastically done you uh you see um some really fantastic uh kind of drama moments between different characters and different a lot of the characters do uh grow throughout the the show and you also see other characters who while they fumble themselves a little bit, they end up uh, coming out telling decent stories as to why they did what they did, what their motivations were. So I, I do really like the way the show came off, uh, all said and done. And and like I said, it is 
between this one and and Super Cub, I really have a hard time deciding which one is is my favorite of the season. I really love this show. It did Spoiler. so well. <laughs> He's like this other one. I, I can't I won't mention. I can't, I can't hold back anymore. It's between this one and Su- Super Cub. I I was very much surprised by this show, and it was funny because when I was I think early on at some point, I I think we kind of talked about is it something to jump into, and I think you said something to the effect that it might be too slow, and I I think that it was. It was good. The pacing was really good. I, I was really, I was kind of, based on what you said, I was kind of afraid of how slow it would be. But I, the easiest way I can suggest this show is if you like Snow White with red hair, watch this show. Like that's it. Like this literally screams Snow White with red hair. Now, granted, Snow White with red hair was not an guy, <laughs> but they both have a similar ide- idea in which they're both somebody that likes herbs. They're both kind of pushed out of where they were at before into another area, and that other area pretty much has a lot of pretty boys. But, similar to Snow White with the Red Hair, the sum of its parts is not the pretty boys. This isn't a reverse harem where you have, like, all these shots of these pretty boys and there's glitters around them. Yeah. This is one of those shows where it it's focused on the main character and the other characters kind of accent the main character. Right. Which I think is fantastic because... In so many cases, when we deal with these reverse harems, what happens? We get a Bricks girl. Yeah. And what we mean by Bricks girl, and I don't know why I explain this every single time. I just hope that the, I'm just afraid somebody's new to our podcast and doesn't know what, a, a, what our Brick character is, quote unquote. It is essentially is a female character that is surrounded by boys, has very little personality of anything. Maybe they might have a little bit of shock and emotion come out every now and then. But they're drug everywhere by yeah. the male characters. Oh, well, this is happening. The girl just stands there like, I don't know what I want to do. And they go, well, we're going to get involved. And they yank the girl and she's like, okay, we're getting involved. <laughs> it's like, that is a Bricks character. They have zero personality and they're, they're, everything is driven by all these boys that have their own emotions. This is the gloomy boy. This is the rugged boy. This is the charming and sophisticated boy. And her personality at the time is whatever one grabs her at the time. So the sophisticated one grabs her. She's dealing with sophisticated stuff. Let's see what she does. Oh, she she looks cute next to this sophisticated guy. And this of course, like and that. of course, she becomes the exact opposite of whatever the <laughs> so and, sophisticated guy. She becomes super <laughs> clumsy and everything. Yeah, in a lot of cases. And that's not to say that that's not the case with regular harems. That is exactly what regular harems do, and it's just a female version of it. With the regular harems, you usually typically have a, a ditherer that does, doesn't know what he wants to decide, and it's these cute girls that are actually the focus. Yeah. So it's not as if this is a one-sided thing, but this does similar to what a harem would have a great – some a lot of cases you have harems that have really great main characters. Yeah. Uh, one that comes to mind is Clanad. I think he was a, a great main character. He liked to tease the girls. He liked to pull things out of the girls. He wasn't just a spy standard just sitting there while we decide which is the cute, cutest girl. And that's kind of a similar case here. Say is a goofball. Like, I love her. She's so freaking cute. Like, every time they tease her and mess with her, she, her reactions are fantastic. And you see her driving force. You see her crap. I'm she, stuck she here. Has, you see her. Should I do this? Because this could essentially. What will this rob me of if I do this? Like yeah. this is a thing that I could do that will solve the situation that really sucks. Should I do it? If I do, how will that change my life? Am I going to have freedoms here anymore? What will be the ultimate effect of this? That's an an interesting point, and I, and I have to agree. Her motivations are literally what she's doing 
And that that's one of the cool things about it is um, where you see, like like Andrew was mentioning, the Bricks characters, their motivation is whatever the boy is. Yeah. So in 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 this case, her motivation is she wants to be an alchemist, and so that's her main driving fo- force. Um, yeah, she'll do some other things like the uh, the the cleansing the miasma. Her motivation for doing that Spire. is to help people. Spire. <laughs> um. So each each thing that she's doing is not necessarily for the boys. It's yeah. for her own motivations. She wants to be able to do her alchemy. She wants to protect people. She wants, i.e., the quote-unquote main reason is she wants to. Yeah. Not because pretty boy says, this is what you need to do. And it's the opposite effect, actually, because she doesn't want anybody to know. Yeah. Because, again... Will this cost her her freedom? What will the effects be if I do this? Mm-hmm. And yeah, technically at times there is a point where she just has no choice. They're going to see it just to be able to protect those around her. But yeah, her her driving force, it is the opposite effect. With a Bricks character, her driving force is the pretty boy. With this case, her driving force affects the pretty boys. Yeah. And it's sad because I I think the only negative to that is that it's almost too focused on Say that I was surprised that we didn't really get much of the boys. They all seem to – they're all drawn to her because of what she's able to do. But then they, of course, are charmed by who she is as a person. But ultimately in the end – Except for one. One's really annoying. (laughs) Yes. I I liked him at first. But yeah, he got like, uh, okay, we're doing this. (laughs) We're doing this. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and it was funny because one of them got really jealous and I'm like, why weren't you jealous before? Like, this is the guy that gets you jealous? Like, this is the guy that gets you jealous? Like, the coolest dude? Like, I like that guy. Why do you have to get jealous of him? Because he was cool. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think it was mainly because he trusted all the other ones. He didn't know this guy. He didn't trust him. Well, yeah. We'll (laughs) leave it at that. But no, it's just, it's got a fantastic cast of characters. I... Like I said, even though it seemed like uh, Hawk does get a lot of uh, he's he's a cool dude, and and a lot of his charm and his devotion is technically his character, um, and a lot of the other characters are kind of a little bit too defined by who they are personality wise. So if I do have to give the series any negative, it is that you do have a lot of characters and not enough time to really kind of do anything with them yet. Yet, and I think that's something that's probably going to be. You'll probably get. We'll prob- we will probably get into them more as the story goes on. It's I, just I don't think we have enough time to get into them yet. I I love the how how well they did with Hawk. Hawk came yeah. off and he just home talking smooth. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he he just I. It was easy to ship him with her it, yeah. and and. I was, just, I was surprised because I was thinking I was thinking this series was going to be like one of those ones where everybody's clamoring for her. And technically, yeah. they are. They all like her. Yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't feel Harami. Yeah, it doesn't. There's a lot of pretty boys, but it doesn't feel like they're all like chasing after her and she's constantly dodging. Yeah, one's pretty interested in her for different reasons, but <laughs> it it seems like a lot of it really is around Hawk. Yeah, and which is cool because he's a cool guy. Yeah, and and. and Side note, um, I, I one of the other characters I think that I, I mentioned this to Andrew and I and I didn't know how to explain it better and maybe you'll have a better way of explaining it. Um, there is a kind of a misstep at the very beginning of the show. I, I'm I'm 
I don't know how, how much spoiler we want to go into, but they resolved it really well towards the end. Um, no, that, you say misstep. I, I, I immediately jumped to the idea where uh, I know what you mean by misstep, by the idea of a character making a bad decision. But I put it more as, as a misstep because the writing doesn't seem to explain it properly. It's like everybody's apologizing because this guy does something really bad at the beginning. And it's like, I didn't I don't think really it was that catch. bad. Yeah. But. <laughs> like, you guys make it out like he turned to her and said, Man, you ugly. This chick hot. I'm out of here. No, it wasn't really like that. He literally comes in, takes her hand, and walks out the door. And that, yeah, I can see that in a royal, uh, these are the saints. You yeah, have they to disarm. treat them with big respect. And so I understand them apologizing to her immensely because their livelihood of their future of their kingdom relies on a saint. Right. And if they disrespect that saint and they don't want to fight for them, they did. Mm-hmm. So I understand why they're so super apologetic, but it's like, it wasn't really that bad. <laughs> I do like at some point she's like, I better ask for something. Are they going to keep asking me? <laughs> I better just say, give me this. Uh, but but I, I understand what you're saying, though. I, I, I do think that it was I, – I had Shield Hero vibes. Yeah. I I thought this was going to totally go in the direction of Shield Hero. And I'm like, which sucks because it, I, I don't want to not like this Ida girl. She's kind of cute. And I don't really want this guy that looks like he's straight out of uh, Tales of Symphonia to be a bad guy either. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like the guy from Tell's Funny. Anyways, uh, he does. What is it? What is his name? Kyle or something like that? I forget what the guy's name was. On, right on, or, or no, I, I think the guy from Tell's Funny is named Kyle too. Oh, I got you. I think. I'm probably wrong. I wonder if they did that. <laughs> probably. Maybe they really liked Symphonia. But no, it, 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 what was great was that I hurt for Ira in the end. Like, I, I, the, up to that point, I knew that she was getting drugged along. And like I said, I was afraid of them turning her into a shield hero situation because of the fact that I was hurting for her for majority of the time. But the fact they didn't do shield hero where, for those that don't, have not watched shield hero, essentially this idea of multiple heroes summoned to another world. And this one person drags one of the heroes out and turns him into the nastiest dude because he thinks he's the greatest. And that's what I thought was going to happen here. He drags her out and then turns her into this nasty person that's like, I am the most powerful. And they didn't do that. And I, I, I really like that. And yes, I, I agree with you. I think that they the way that they turned it full circle and brought them back into the fold was really well done. And getting into her actual backstory, I'm like, now I'm hurting for her more. Yeah. <laughs> like I say's in an interesting case because she it points out it it goes out of its way to kind of point out that she is alone in the office. She works to way late, and then she goes home. She opens the door to an empty, dark room and says, I'm home. Oh, wait. Not like there's anybody here. It's pointing out that she doesn't really have anybody. And at no point does it really point out that she has anybody to return to. Ida is a different case. And so that's what makes it hurt is that she does have something she's leaving behind. There's things that remind her of her you know, previous time. But yeah, I, I, I do like how they, they kind of fold her back in. But yeah, we, we've talked way too much about the show. <laughs> it's a great show. I really liked it. I loved it. Uh, I thought Say was fantastic. She's way cute. Um, just love seeing her adventure and exploring the different elements of the world. The comedy was really kind of cute and charming. I liked a lot of the moments like when she first starts enchantment. This guy's like, enchant this. We'll enchant this. <laughs> this, guy's, this guy's taking advantage of the situation, isn't he? <laughs> 
Um, just everybody else is telling her to stop, chill out a little bit. You're making too much. He's going, no, here, you just, just pile it on her. Apparently the, the, the florist place has issues with their supply of, uh, herbs. The enchanting place has no shortage of (laughs) rocks for her to enchant, apparently. Uh, but yeah, it's just really charming, really sweet show. Like I said, if you watch Snow White with Red Hair, if you have not watched Snow White with Red Hair, go watch it. But, uh, I definitely recommend this series. It's just, uh, it's, it's a reverse harem done right. Um, really solid characters. Really charming. Loved it. Yeah. We should move on, though. <laughs> Too much time on one show. Uh, Vivi Florite Ice Song. This one streamed on Funimation around for 13 episodes, done by Studio Wit Studio. The source is an original. The uh, genres are action, sci fi, music, thriller. The creator was Tape Nakatsuki, who, of course, did ReZero and Warlords of Sigdrifa. The creator of the series as well, alongside Tape, was Eiji Umahara, who, of course, did the script work for Beelzebub and ReZero, the adaptation. And the music was done by Satoru uh, Kosaki, who, of course, did the Monogatari series, as well as Beastars. So, quite a interesting spread of shows there between Monogatari and Beastars. Uh, I mean, music-wise, because Beastars is very kind of pop and, and jazzy, so, yeah. Yeah, where do I start with the show? Um, I guess I can go chronologically with the adaptation itself. Essentially, it opens up with a massacre happening. There's AIs everywhere just massacring all the humans. There's, like, these drones up in the air, and they just shoot down and just hit people in the head. Everybody's dying. And so, obviously, it's painting this picture that the AI, the AI are wanting to wipe humankind off the face of the map. This one doctor, Dr. Matsumoto, he runs into his uh, lab and starts up his program that he had created prior to send a essentially a program back in time 100 years prior to this one AI named Diva. And this this program will essentially tell her what to do in order to prevent this from happening. And that kind of cuts to explaining essentially the concept of AIs in this world. So at some, time, some point, mankind created AIs. Uh, they were trying to give them multiple projects to do so that the AI will kind of handle everything. Um, what they found is that whenever an AI has more than one goal or prod or uh, mission, it will conflict with each other. So it shows this example of this AI, and he's working on this computer doing some programming or something. And then there's a baby behind him in a crib crying. And so his reaction is to turn around and type above the baby to think it's going to fix it because he just did that to fix this. Obviously, it'll fix this. So they figured out that they, they need to keep to one mission or goal for each AI so that they can focus on that one thing. And with Diva specifically, the one that he sent this program back 100 years to, her mission was to sing from the heart and create smiles. Technically, that's two. <laughs> Not really. but <laughs> So her whole thing is that she's going to sing for people and, and create smiles. And she's doing that. She's at a like a this one carnival place that she performs there. She doesn't really have much of a crowd. And at some point while she's perf- – uh, after th- her stage show – this program, it, you hit the singularity point where it's 100 years uh, prior. That's when the program hits her, and it's in the form of this cube that calls itself Matsumoto. And this cube, this program, starts you know, essentially laying out that, hey, in 100 years, this massacre is going to happen. We have to prevent it. And Matsumoto, Dr. Matsumoto had created these singularity points in which you would want to – you would have to essentially do something to change something that would essentially lead up to this happening. So this begins this kind of 100-year span process of them going to each one of these singularity points, changing something. Like one was to prevent the assassination of this one politician because him being assassinated 
will allow this AI rights bill to get pushed through because everybody will do it sympathetically. Like, oh, this is his, this was his passion project. Let's put that through. Whereas before it wouldn't been put through because he wouldn't been killed. Um, there's another one where there's this big space hotel that will uh, is going to get crashed and they're going to blame it on the AI and there's going to be a massacre of AIs. So all these little things that she has to change in order to prevent this from happening. And that, again, this is a, that's essentially this, this series is just kind of following that process. Every you know, let's say fifteen to twenty or so years, Matsumoto will wake up Diva and say, "Okay, here's the next project. Let's go do this." And the kind of the interesting thing that happens during this entire process is the conflict of what I mentioned earlier, the mission uh, aspect. Diva's mission is to sing and create smiles. So what happens when this other program is essentially telling her, well, go kill this, this person over here because it's going to cause a problem later. She's not going to want to do that. Her mission is to create smiles. Why would she create sadness? So these conflicts start messing with her. And you have this journey of her over this 100-year span slowly kind of having these conflicts of what she's doing versus what she was meant to do. And then always kind of falling back to the idea of what is happiness? What is emotions? Of course, the what you would typically get with the AI type of storyline, you are hitting on those aspects of like, what is a heart? What is emotion? What will what what is singing? What will singing do? All these aspects that humans obviously find normal for us to understand is something that's difficult for an AI to do. Now, what I will say is, even though it is technically hitting on a similar concept there of the, you know, what is emotions, what is a heart, the way it kind of gets into them is an interesting way in that it almost it almost takes it from a perspective of how to process that. How does a computer compute the idea of a heart or memories or emotions or, or um, what's the other term I was trying to think of? <laughs> These moments that she's experiencing. And I think it was it did that really well. Uh, also, what studio? It looks fantastic. This is a fantastic looking series. Early on, it gave me a lot of really strong vibes of like uh, Ghost in the Shell, the way they kind of uh, over polish and, and animate certain like you know robotics showing in arms or whatever or, or, or tearings on the face and stuff like that. Really cool detail in a lot of the shots. Uh, again, that conflict of missions, the aspect of the heart. Um, all these things, the, the things that she goes through that essentially shape her as an AI, but again, not as the idea of a easy, this is an AI gaining emotions, but more in how does an AI understand emotions. And the way they kind of went into that stuff was really cool. My only negative, even though this was a fun, excellent journey following this, like I, I had so much fun watching this show. It was so well done. The only thing that I struggled with was the ending twist because <laughs> I see it is the most overdone concept for AI involved storytelling I have ever seen. Like every single AI, a man versus AI stories gets into the same exact stupid concept, but it was the journey that I enjoyed. So it doesn't bother me too much. And they technically did something interesting with that <laughs> brown couch. <laughs> The usual couch that they did, they technically did something with it that was cool. That led to a really cool last episode that was really, like I said, a culmination of this 100-year span. They managed to take that whole journey, that 10 episodes worth of this journey, and somehow managed to put it in that last episode 
and and make it all be for a reason, not make sense, make it for a reason. And I think the way that they pulled that off was excellent. So, yeah, each individual singularity was fantastic. I loved each one of these different stories they went into. I love the shaping of Diva or Vivi, as you as she's also called, um, was fantastic. Uh, again, all the AI concepts of understanding and computing emotions in the heart versus just gaining it. Uh, all that stuff was fantastic. It was beautifully visually done. Uh, great animation. Uh, great shots. Great directing. Everything was just perfect. Except for, like I said, a very disappointing twist at the end. Not, I wouldn't really call it a twist. It's just kind of, oh, so we're doing that concept. Insert. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> Uh, but other than that, it it was fantastic. I love the series. It was it was so good, so good. I miss it. I miss it so much. <laughs> and the music was fantastic. I I thought it was Suano when I first started watching the show, and I think at some point it kind of got a little, it got different. Like he he does a lot of, a, a good mixture of different types of like, um like technologically sounding uh, orchestra, and then having some kind of high action scenes. Put some techno in it. Um, some people might find that kind of off-putting having techno in it, but I, th- I thought it fit really well. And I think that mixture not really having those Sawano ramps, I was like, this can't be Sawano. And I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, this dude that did Monogatari series. Well, that's cool. And Beastars? Okay, cool. Cool. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. Um, excellent series. Definitely suggest it. Really fantastic. Cool little sci-fi take. Um, yeah, Vivi Fluorite Ice Song. Cool, cool. Moving on, we have How Not to Summon a Demon Lord Omega, or the second season of How Not to Summon a Demon Lord. This one streamed on Crunchyroll for 10 episodes, done by Studio Tezuka Productions and uh, Okuroto Noboru, and it was originally done by Aisha Doe, was the first season, by the way. Uh, source of light novel, genres are harem, comedy, magic, fantasy, etchy. And for those that are not aware of the How Not to Summon a Demon Lord series, essentially follows a guy... Uh, who plays an MMO all the time. He His character in that game is Diablo. He's, like, really high level. I think 150 or something like that. Really high level. Really overpowered. Has, like, really overpowered uh, equipment. And in this game, Cross Reverie, he essentially has his own dungeon. And people try to raid the dungeon. And he, like, messes them up. Because he's, he's got, he, he has a ring that, like, reflects magic on people. He's that overpowered. And at some point, when he calls it quits for the day, um, he finds himself transported into another world. In this other world, he's immediately greeted by two girls, Ram and Sarah, and they immediately kiss him on the cheek because they are essentially summoning their their whole plan was to summon something, and then they have to kiss it in order to put an enchant spell on it and enslave it so they can use it on their adventures. Well, they summoned him in his character Diablo, which is this overpowered character in this game, with that ring. <laughs> so immediately it reflects the enslaving spell back onto these two girls, and now they're stuck kind of following him around. And he's super overpowered anyways in this world, so he, in his inability to socialize with people, because he he never plays with anybody in that other game, he has he's very antisocial, he's so bad at socializing that since he's in this character, he decides, well, I'll just continue to roleplay as his character, as Diablo, so he just starts acting like he's this overpowered Diablo character, and, you know, ho-ho, I'm, I'm going to take care of this whole mess because I'm Diablo, I'm the greatest demon ever. And that kind of is the whole shtick, is him kind of traveling with these girls, meeting other characters, and just being overpowered and dealing with different situations as it goes along. With this particular season, we essentially introduce uh, Lumashina, who is a high priestess of this church in the area. And she's essentially, at the very beginning, um, one of the other paladins of this has been hired to kill her. 
And so it's a whole kind of corrupted church story where they have to go find out why they're doing this, um, this curse that's hitting the land that, you know, it essentially causes death and the, how the church is exploiting people and all that kind of stuff. So your thoughts on the second season? Um, this one's kind of easy to do. It's cute, fun, etchy, loved it, had fun. <laughs> there you go. Moving on. <laughs> it It is. It, when it comes down to it, it there's it. If you liked the first season, you'll love this season. I'm I'm assuming I I it it's not doing anything new. I the, I the the best the the most biggest revelation this season was that it, pretty much the place that he went to while it was in question whether or not it was quote unquote his game or if his if this world was affected by his game, um, that was in question. Now it's kind of more revealed that yes, it what he did in the game did affect this world a lot more. Um, but that's about it. Other than that, it, it was just him being goofy, um, saying how overpowered he was, fighting what three things, um, and and just continuing the the same etchy stuff. And I had a lot of fun with it, just like I did the last season. Yeah, I think my only disappointment compared to the first season, and I, I meant to go check to see if there was it was really the case. It feels like it's just not much etchy in this one. Like I, I think we mentioned before, is like it, it had like three like really, uh, you know, we're crossing the 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 border almost to uh, full on hentai moments. But other than that, it wasn't like you know constant etchy moments. It just kind of felt like it was so focused on moving, 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 moving. Let's go here. Let's go here. Let's go here. There's like these goals of locations. Whereas in the first season, it's kind of in that town, and so there's not enough. There's not much moving around. Whereas in this one, it was like they're just constantly traveling, and so it doesn't give these little moments to really kind of mess with the characters and do crazy etchy stuff. And that's that's kind of the <laughs> it's what you're here for, people. Don't 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 look at me like that. Um, it's it's one of those moments where it, it you kind of realize like that's what you're here for, and there's not much of it. It makes you question it, and that's the problem. Like it still has that goofiness of. Diablo, like I, I love every time that he's, he's like, this is one moment where they're like, you know, don't do anything to provoke them. And then again, you have that aspect of he sucks at socializing, so he still just managed to fall back to his persona of Diablo. Oh, I'm, I'm Diablo. You have all sacrificed your life. Okay, you just provoked them. <laughs> it still has those moments. It still has those goofy, etchy moments. Like I, I, I loved all the goofy stuff they did with Horn. Um, but it was so funny because at some point I realized what it was missing. At some point, it goes back to the main town, and they have, like, a brief one episode where they just suddenly have the old cast back together. It has Eldegard, it has the demon girl, and they all just kind of do this thing where they have to go after some mob boss, basically. And it was so much fun. I'm like, this is what I miss. Like, this little kind of focused goofiness with the characters rather than just traveling to this location, traveling to this location. The church is bad. Let's get the church. All that stuff kind of was just kind of deterring the goofy, silly antics of him and these this harem around him. It was so focused on, who's this guy? Is he bad? Is he good? Let's fight him. Oh, who's this person? Is he bad? Is he good? Let's fight him. So that's, I guess, where I kind of fall. Is I, I, I wanted to enjoy it, but it was just it was too much of an adventure that pulled away from what made the original one good, which was goofy, etchy harem junk. Which... I wouldn't mind it so much if it weren't for the fact that 
the stuff they get into, the adventuring they did, wasn't really that interesting. Like, uh, the story of the church is evil, and the curse that they have to cure wasn't all that fun. It wasn't all that interesting. And I think that was what it was too focused on, that it kind of lost a lot of its flavor. I don't know. Maybe the church was a little long. Uh, I mean, it had effectively two arcs. It was nine or ten episodes. (laughs) Yeah, it was was effectively two arcs. It was pretty long. It was two arcs. There was there was the the death knell, and then the 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 church itself. In the first one, it seems like they were doing the arc of the elf girl. It, there was an introduction arc, then there was the elf uh, girl, and then the um, the what was in Rim? Yeah, what was in Rim? The sealed the sealed thing within Rim. So it's I don't know. It I I, I don't disagree. I I'm not gonna argue against it but i thought it it did fine i mean they were just doing goofy little stories and it worked yeah not 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 enough be- not enough best boy though right here emily <laughs> <laughs> he was in there for a second <laughs> for a very brief second yes for a very brief second uh sssss dina xenon this one was streamed on funimation ran for 12 episodes done by studio trigger uh, of course, did Dolly and the Franks, uh, or the original SSSS Gridman, which is basically in the same universe of. Uh, the source is original. These genres are action, sci-fi, mecha. And before I do anything, before I do anything, in case I forget, I'm going to do this first, before anything else. Thighs. Okay, I covered it. Okay? Don't... <laughs> well, I don't know why I forgot to talk about thighs when I talked about my video. Apparently, review you and did. I got, I, I heard all me. kinds of messages about that. Man, I didn't. I just thought people knew. People already knew. I didn't think I need to repeat it. But yeah, um, like I said before, this is an original series done by Trigger. It's within their Gridman universe. They're doing. Uh, they already did the SSSS Gridman series, which was one of the very few Trigger shows that I really enjoy. Um, but uh, yeah, this one essentially follows at the very beginning it mainly follows yomogi who is this boy and as he is walking with his friends uh they take note of this girl named yume who is nearby and there's like this gossip about the fact that yume will kind of ask boys to meet her at different locations and then when they go there to see her she's not there so she kind of stands him up so there's like this little gossip happening around that well at some point he is walking home, and he bumps into this guy named Goma, who is this guy underneath a bridge. He looks like he's starving to death, and Yomagi gives him something to eat, and this guy's like, you saved my life. I'm going to repay you at some point. And later on, he runs into Yume, and she tells her the same thing. Meet me over this location this one time. He's like, okay, I'll do that. And sure enough, when he meets her there, she's not there, and she's on a bridge nearby, and this Goma guy's like, I'm going to find her for you, and he ends up finding her, and... As he's kind of questioning, like, why did you do that to my friend? You know, he saved my life kind of thing. Uh, this big kaiju shows up and starts destroying the town. And this Gama guy, he ends up, you know, trying to control the kaiju, which is kind of weird. And as he seems that he can't control it, he this thing that he has with him, which is a statue, ends up glowing. And it turns into this big old huge robot mecha thingy-majiggy called the Dinozenon. And this Dinozenon essentially pulls Yomagi, pulls uh, Yume, Goma, as well as two other bystanders nearby, Koyomi and Chise, into the different parts of this big mecha robot. It's kind of like one of those situations where, you know, there's a, the legs, and then there's the body, and then there's the arms. Each one of them have, like, this different part of them they control. And Chise was pulled in? 
No, not Chisei. Sorry. Just just Koyomi was nearby. She does get involved later on, though, which I would prefer over Koyomi, uh, Yomogi. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So they, in this robot, start fighting the kaiju and end up defeating it. And then you eventually meet the uh, eugenicists, the kaiju eugenicists, which is a group of people that know Goma from 5,000 years prior, which they apparently, 5,000 years prior, died. And then they were all, along with Goma, reborn in this world to essentially... They want to control the kaijus and wipe out the humans, whereas Goma, with these other three people, want to fight with the dinosaur to fight away the kaiju and save mankind. So, yeah, that's kind of the gist of it. A bunch of kaiju fights and then talked about kaijus and Yume's backstory and all that kind of stuff. And did you watch it? I never got past the second episode. Mm-hmm. Funimation hates me. Funimation hates you. <laughs> Funimation does not want you to watch Dinosaur Um... But you got through Saints Magic Powers omnipotent. omnipotent? Good. I it's good. I I don't un- I don't I don't make the rules. Funimation it's only, does. It's only certain shows. Uh, I loved Gridman. SSSS Gridman triggers take on Gridman series. I really enjoyed it. I I love the kind of crazy stuff they did with the kaiju and um, essentially how they tick, and then some cool stuff they did with the characters, all that kind of stuff, plus thighs. Uh, fantastic character designs that I really like. Trigger's usual great directing that I always enjoy with our series, even though I don't necessarily always like the stories. But um, with Dinozenon, I'm I'm truly mixed. I had a lot of fun watching it. I was entertained. I watched the entire thing and loved it. Like I said, it, and all it has to do with the action, the animation. They're really doing a lot better with their use of CGI and blending it with the 2D. Um... My only problem that I had really with the series is that it didn't do enough with the world and the kaiju that Gridman did. I liked what Gridman did with the characters and the world and all that kind of stuff. This one didn't do much with it. The unfortunate thing that I think is the fault here, and I have nothing against Yume, and I think that's why I got so many dislikes on my video for reviewing it. I don't have a problem with Yume. She's cute. I love her personality. Again, thighs. But the problem with Yume in general is the idea that they spent so much time focused on her and what happened to her sister, and they piecemealed it throughout the entire series. There's something with the sister. Let's let's slowly reveal things about what's going on with the sister. And then they got into it, and it was kind of anticlimactic. I mean, it was an emotional scene, and I I got emotional watching it, but it didn't have any effect to the world itself or the concepts. And you think if you spend like at least 10 minutes every episode talking about the sister, that there would be some effect to everything that's going on because of the sister, and it wasn't. Again, I like the concept. I like the story. I like Yume. I like the sister. I like the emotional moment at the end. But it had no bearing to the story itself when they spent so much time on it. You mean she didn't mass murder like five countries? (laughs) You would think. You would think. Um, and that and that's what sucks is because a lot of the other characters didn't get much t- attention. Like Goma didn't get much uh, that much attention, and he's technically the driving force through the entire group. And he got like five minutes to him at most. Uh, Yomogi had zero character development whatsoever. He had zero going for him besides I want to get with Yume. It was like his the main character seems like protagonist character. His driving force is where's Yume? Where's Yume? I gotta follow Yume. I need help Yume. Um, Chisei got like 
five to ten minutes given to her story. Aww. Um, Koyomi had, like... And the, the sad thing is, is Chise would be... is It was the main driving force for me wanting to watch that show. Yeah, she's I, really cute. <laughs> like, the moment she was able to, like, be a part of the group, I'm like, yes, thank you. Just kick Yomi, Yomogi out. We don't need Yomogi. Uh, Koyomi had, like, way too much time given to him, and his story was just... it really not really anything to it he, he just essentially ran away from some girl when he was young and he regrets it and now she's with somebody else and that kind of bothers him and now he's neat um yeah now he's neat so that's my struggle like the the characters themselves didn't get much time given to them there wasn't much to them and there was so much time given to yume that didn't have much bearing to the world itself now, the references they made to SSSS Gridman was fantastic. The moment they kind of did some reveals of some connecting characters and stuff was really cool. Um, I, I am excited for the Dinozenon slash Gridman uh, series they're going to do next, which will, you know, essentially, I'm assuming, pull the two of the universes together. But, I don't know, it was just kind of... I was entertained. I had a lot of fun. They had great animation and directing and music and all that kind of stuff. I'm just disappointed with them not doing much with the characters or the world overall. Um, that I was kind of, again, my expectations set pretty high because I enjoyed Gridman so much. So that's that's it. Please don't dislike this video again. <laughs> I like you, May. I like thighs. Now they're going to dislike mad. you just to just to troll you. Yeah, you didn't fix it enough. You still didn't say it was the amazingest show ever. <laughs> uh, I think it's just trigger fans are just hardcore i think that's what it is i think they've always hated me not liking trigger shows like kill a kill and stuff this is true <laughs> I, I i don't understand why you don't I, have at least a little bit of love for trigger the way i put it in my video review is that i've always liked the shows everybody hates from trigger and i don't i, I don't have a like a huge fascination with the shows that everybody thinks are like the legends like kill a kill but I'm like, the one thing that we can all come to agreement was, is the original OVA Little Witch Academia was amazing. Like, can we all at least agree on that? Like, I love Darling, Darling on the Franks. Everybody hates it. I'm not big on Kill a Kill. Everybody thinks it's a legend. But we can all agree that Little Witch Academia, not the TV series. <laughs> I can't go with you on the TV series. But the original OVA was masterpiece. I, I've, I've always just been warm on 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 trigger i i generally just love the stuff that they've put out i've yeah i fall away from it but that's just normal of all shows i mean yeah. i've i've fallen away from other shows as well so i'm just not as avid as i used to be where i had to finish every show <laughs> yeah supernatural battles came commonplace that was the one that we really liked and nobody i don't think anybody acknowledges that that's a trigger show uh Super Cub, we'll go watch. Go watch Super Cub, please. Just turn it off right now and go watch Super Cub. That's really, all is say. all you have to say. I mean, it's that <laughs> awesome. We've okay. So let's let's preface this. What is the most rewarding thing in what we do? Finding gems. Finding gems. What is Super Cub? An absolute gem. An absolute gem. How much? <laughs> how many? How many uh, users do you think is on my enemy list for Super Cub? I don't even want to know because it's going to be absolute murder. <laughs> this season has a lot of users on all the shows this season. Like a lot of them are like 200 plus. Um, there's quite a few at 150 or so plus, which is actually really huge for a season. Super Cub, like not even 70, I think it was. That bothers me. Like th this this show. Let, let, me, let me let me double check. I, I'm 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 doing it on the fly here. We're doing it live. 
I think it was it was either our odd taxi. One of the two of them is like seventy thousand, and it bothers me so much. Sixty six thousand. Fix that, people. <laughs> Fix that, people. There is nothing more rewarding in what we do than finding gems. These series that just are nobody's talking about, and there's there's so much to it that is hard to put in the world. And this is literally one of the most hardest shows to like most of like. Kill a Kill, for example, we just talked about that. How do you sell people to buy Kill a Kill? You'll get a GIF of some crazy, over-the-top, nuts animation, and you'll throw it on Twitter, and people go, "What the heck is that show? I gotta go watch that." Well, that's how I how got into Hajime no Ippo. A picture of a smile. <laughs> yeah, it, that, I mean, and that's how I got into Hajime no Ippo is uh, him doing the Dempsey role. I think is what it was, and it the, the um, great thing. Yeah, the bob exactly weave, the bob and weave, and then you get it, you get that energy built up, and then you rubber band. Yeah, it, it, and it and it was it it was a it, a clip of somebody who had that as their um I I think it was their um their signature or something like that and and him going crazy on somebody and I was like what is this show and I was like there's a boxing anime and that that was me getting into Hajime no Ippo yeah it's uh, Megalobox what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> um but this one is 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 a little bit more difficult it, it it's it's one of those that. You want me to get into the, what the show is first? Sure, kind you, of you do that. Off that, I, I realize we haven't even explained what it's about. Uh, anyways, Super Cub is a twelve episode series uh, streamed on Funimation, done by Studio Kai. The source is a light novel. The genres are slice of life and school. Uh, the series composition was Toshizo Nimoto, who did Del- uh, Macross Delta, uh, Juj- uh, Jushinki Pandora, and did work on Robotics Note, Da 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 Da, Ghost Sick, and Shangri La. And this essentially follows a girl named Koguma. And Koguma, as the narration leads you to believe at the very beginning, she's talking about herself. She has nothing. She has no family. She has no friends. She has very little money. She lives on her own. She goes to school, you know, sits by herself, and then goes home. That's pretty much her routine. She just, this is a girl that really has nothing. And at some point when she's going home from school, uh, she is passed by by a bike and then somebody on a motorbike. And... She essentially has a random thought. You know, I'm going to go to a local store that has motorbikes and see if I can get a, a, a motorbike because she's, like, struggling to ride this bike and this motorbike is going by her. And when she's there, it's it it seems like the old man that runs the shop kind of, you know, noticed that she was kind of looking for something to change herself. Because when she inquires, she's like, you know, I don't really have any money. I'm just kind of window shopping. At some point, he pulls this bike out from his garage that he's been working on, and he says – she's like, well, how much? And he's like, 10,000 yen, which is roughly like 90 bucks. Yeah, about <laughs> a current exchange. 90, 100. It's like it – it's really super cheap. And she's like, well, why is it so cheap? And he's like, uh, it, it led to the death of like three people. <laughs> she's like, okay, I'll buy it. And uh, of course, she has to get her license, and then she comes back and she buys it. And thus begins this kind of journey of Koguma as she – has now gained something like she has this super cub that has changed her life and made things easier for her. But not only that, but as she goes along in her story, she's meeting new people through the super cub. She's learning things about what the super cub can do. She's, you know, finding equipment for it to kind of overcome challenges. It's, it's allowing her to go to different places and expanding her world. And she smiles that, that bright, bright smile. (laughs) I, there, there's been quite a few shows where I've I've been it all hinged on the on the smile on the so, smile. Um, I there there's there's something very um, 
special about this show. I mean, yes, we can talk to talk. I can, I can, I can go into the directing. I can go into the story writing. I can go into the story composition, the, the visuals, all these things. This is one of those where when, when we're talking about a special gym, it's hitting all the marks. There's the, the story writing. Um, when, when I, when I first talked, when we first talked about this, um, Andrew had got me into it and I, and I came out and I said, the directing, yes, the directing's on point. It was the, so surprising. Cause we looked into the director and he's only done like one other thing and it was episode that's three. Criminal. Of <laughs> and I'm like, that makes so much sense because that was like my favorite episode of 18 IF, which has its own problems. 18 IF is one of those series that every episode has a different director. And he did this episode three, which was essentially, um, him meeting the witch of love, a uh, witch of first love, I think it was. And it was, it was basically a ch- a tragic girlfriend story. Like it was, it was pretty plain. Like it's, it, this is what it's doing. It's, it's not that it was a shock or anything, but it was so well directed and it had that soft look to it. And it's like, this makes sense. Like this, this is this guy. He knows how to essentially pull you in very quickly. And that's exactly what the series does. Is it, this is like, um, I'm totally cutting you off. Did you finish your thought? Or no, go you, ahead. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to go <laughs> into a very long thing. So me too. So, but, um, it's kind of like, uh, layback camp. This series kind of like layback camp and the idea that it, they managed to pull you in and this relaxing nature to where you're kind of there with them. You're just relaxing with them, enjoying things and experiencing things. And I can also equate this to being one of those series similar to Kimono Friends, where it's almost like you're watching – it's like you're watching a loved one, a child that you want to succeed. Like you're you're on the sidelines as they're you know running across the finish line. You're cheering them on. That is what this series is in a nutshell. It is watching Koguma, and you almost have like that feeling of like, oh, you want to step in and help. And then you're like, no, just, just watch. <laughs> then they manage to you know overcome whatever challenge they're facing, and you're like – girl you did it i'm so happy for you and then this and then you see the smile and you're like that was treasure <laughs> this is this is what life is about that is what the series is it is it is that element of seeing this girl who had nothing gain things and while they seem simple while these struggles seem simple oh wow it rained better get a jacket that's a simple story no it's crap she's going through garbage she got this jacket and then she says, what do you think of that rain? And you're like, yeah, girl, you got that rain. <laughs> or, or you drive by the, she drives by Mount Fuji and says, I'll leave you at that. I'm not, I'm, I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it just at that. And you're like, yeah, you, you totally told that Mount what to do. It is that aspect of overcoming challenges, though simple it seems, is huge for her. And you feel that. You feel that these are small challenges that otherwise seem very minor to most people being significant to her because she's she doesn't have anything and she's gaining things through this and and seeing that feeling of overcoming that you just want to root for and i i think it's kind of helped by the directing it, it is they pulled off the, the soft tones the characters the designs themselves the the ability to really kind of pull out emotion through coloring yeah like i I didn't notice it until like episode six, I think it was. It was the, the when they went into ca- the cafe and she drinks the coffee and you see the warm colors really kind of jump out on on the characters themselves and, and the surroundings. And I'm like, they changed the coloring tone. And then I realized, I'm like, 
oh and then somebody somebody in our youtube uh comments was like like broke it down he's like yeah here 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 and i'm like okay so it happened before now but i only just now notice it and i can't not notice it uh they had ability to kind of show that when the colors start warming up and it, it always in like some point in which she like overcome like she she gets hand warmers and suddenly it gets warmer mm-hmm. i love how they do that because it's it's a it's it seemed like it must have been subtle, very subtle before, and that just kind of stood out because it was a very red room. It's like this diner, so it's got a the she's parents are like super like about others like they they call it a hodgepodge of uh, of cultures, a scatter shot of cultures as she calls it, like Italy in the middle with this little thing, and then you have some uh, German, and then you have American, I think it was, and the of course the American diner area is like very kind of old, you know, Route sixty six diner, where, like yeah. everything's red. And so, of course, when that warmness happens, red, like you notice that you can't not notice it. And the way that they do that is just fantastic. And that that attention to detail is only equated to in one other studio, Kyoto Animation. Like Kyoto Animation has that ability to take a very simple, you can see it in Chris's background, K-On, and uh, take a very simple cutesy girls concept. But then every now and then you notice these very subtle over details like these yep. things that are just so like they took the time to put this thing in the corner of the room that's not going to be touched but that attention to detail is what i kind of felt with this one that attention to detail with certain things like every morning when they when she got up in the in the morning every morning when she got up in the morning every time she got up in the morning she would do her usual routine she goes over she gets her rice she puts it inside the pan uh she grabs her drink pours it into the canteen puts it all together and walk and they're showing like this her like like super well animated <laughs> pouring and and scooping process but it's to give that sense of how empty the room is yep. like all these little subtle things this is her life the, this is what the, she does this the, is her routine the curries that she was taking from making yeah, sure same, that it is the exact same ones not one yeah yeah and I, I think at some point she changes the order in which she grabs them so it's again these the, this is her routine they were very much specifically trying to point out this routine that she's stuck in and then you see that breakout, and now she's kind of, you know, suddenly changing the way that she does things. She's she's gonna go buy that cup of coffee because why not? It's and those changes, I think, so subtly and so well done. And this is and this is what this this is all pointing out the 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 point of of what 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 I'm trying to make is the using using the directing. The directing is all of these decisions. Series composition is translating the story from the written uh, light novel into uh, this this show that you're watching. You have the visuals, which which is um, all your all the other stuff that we're talking about. That's all part of this entire process. That's why we're saying this is an important show. Yes, it's centered around kind of a a love song to these these goofy little scooters. But what we're pointing out, yeah, (laughs) what we're pointing out is that this is a a a masterpiece in itself, and it's very rare to get these, and that's why we're we're hint we're we're laying out that if you haven't at least given this a few episodes, give it a try. You're gonna be surprised if you are anything like me and Andrew are as far as these shows are concerned. It's such an easy sell too because it's like. Just watch the first episode. Like it, this isn't a three episode rule type thing. This is just watch the first episode. You know, yeah. Because it, it it gives you the first episode gives you a really clear perspective of this the tonal shift because it doesn't take long before it goes. This is what it's about. This is her. This is 
you get her first you get you essentially get her first victory and that's enough to tell you if you're going to like how it portrays that victory because that victory as it goes along is what is so like that's that's the carrot on the stick is i want to see the next time that she overcomes something and it's just these different challenges that she's facing yeah you don't get to see she and i think she's very important <laughs> Well, no, you she's actually do see her. You do actually see her at the you beginning. You see her, but she's not like with them yeah. talking and everything. She's in the background. It's, it's actually – she's actually – she is actually <laughs> an interesting concept. I made the joke on Twitter. I'm like uh, every time I had a, made a – record a video, I felt like I was doing the she sells, she sells uh, tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> she sells, she sells on the seashore. She is an an interesting uh, piece in this story. just call story. her shy? <laughs> I, I, I absolutely love her um, for what she – her importance in the story and oh, yeah. how – I mean, yes, it, 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 it absolutely slams you in the – towards the end when it says, this is what we were actually doing with her. But there is even more to that. Um, the opening the, – the, the Super Cub and, and it, its implements and how it is changing uh, – uh, the main character and and she and there there was so much to what was done in undertones that you could almost just break down and just dig into each little uh, story element in this this show and and what it is actually saying. So there's there's even more in the undertones that that's important to capture that that we're we're underselling even that point uh just just talking about the visuals and all that stuff there's there's actual undertones to the story that of of experiencing life the the, the winter and spring and bringing spring into to like you were br- pointing out in one of your videos of them going to spring and bringing it back to where their hometown and all that neat stuff is all in there and, and i i just love the the way that they're they did all that yeah, I was, I was very surprised how they managed to full circle it. Because like, I wasn't really expecting that. Um, I, I, just, I, I expected just like a very simple ending to it. And they managed to kind of take it and go, no, this is actually a little bit more deep than you actually think. Mm-hmm. This is more – Koguma's mindset isn't just, just I'm going to change this and conquer it. It was really a lot more than that. And I mm-hmm. really did like that. Um, and that's that whole idea of the jokes about this being a super cub or prefecture advertisement. It's like – yeah, it's cheesy with the Super Cub stuff. Super Cub fix everything. <laughs> and it was so funny. At some point, it's like, that's super cheesy. This girl's crying and saying, fix it with your Super Cub. I'm like, but then there was a point to it. Like, it made sense. You could. You, technically, you can. And that was the whole point. Um, it does feel cheesy in that regard. But it, it does it for really cute and purposeful stuff. I will say there's only one point in the entire series that I didn't like. And it was at the very beginning of a later episode when they got a very dire situation. As I mentioned before, I will chop it up as, yes, children make stupid decisions when things are really bad. Um, kids aren't I, – I, I struggle with it because I, I think that Japan, more than any other nation, spends a lot of its uh, schooling really focused on disaster uh, survival techniques and stuff. Um, being that they have hurricane tornadoes, earthquakes, typhoons, everything like on a constant basis. But I'll chop it up as kids will be kids and make – goofy decisions but at the same time it was like at least the parents should have been doing something different but super cub fix everything super cub fix everything (laughs) (laughs) it it did it did i was very i i started my video impressions of that particular episode saying girls we need to have a talk (laughs) that's not how you handle a situation like that uh but yeah 
it, it didn't ruin the show at all. It was just, like I said, I chopped up as kids will make kids will say the darndest things. They'll do the darndest things. Uh, kids will super cub, but no, it, overall, absolutely fantastic series. Love it to death. Um, yeah, I cannot suggest it enough. You need to go watch. I, like I said several times throughout the entire season, go watch super cub, go watch super cub, go watch super cub, go watch super cub. It's too good. It is way too good. I loved it. I miss it. I miss it. I miss it. I miss it so much. Uh, Record of Ragnarok or Shumatsu no Raukyur. This one is streaming on uh, Netflix. Ran for 12 episodes. Done by Studio Grafinica. The source is a manga. The genres are action, superpower, and supernatural drama. Seinen. Uh, series composition was done by Kazuyuki Furiyasu, who did Hajime no Ippo, uh, Bento, Wandering Witch, Recovery Memo Junkie, and Recarnated as a Slime. And, uh, yeah, this one essentially takes place, it kind of starts off at a meeting of the gods. And this series, or this particular IP of Record of Ragnarok, likes to mesh all of the different types of uh, mythologies. So it has, like, biblical, it has, uh, you know, Norse gods, it has, uh, um, they have Hindu in there and stuff. All these different types of beliefs and mythologies are all kind of meshed together. So all these gods are in one big meeting place. And they're deciding, they do this every thousand years, they'll decide, is mankind going to continue on? Are we going to continue to look over mankind, or are we just going to wipe them out? And in this particular meeting this one time, they have decided, you know what, kind of tired of, <laughs> kind of tired of over, you know, having to deal with them. Uh, they're kind of annoying to deal with. They're always fighting each other. We just don't really care about them anymore. Let's just, let's just wipe them out this time. So they do a big vote, and everybody pretty much votes to wipe them out. Well, Brynhildr steps in and says, wait, 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 wait. Before you do that, I'm going to, uh, basically she suggests to them, why not just let the humans decide? Let's, let's enact Ragnarok, which is essentially in this particular world. Ragnarok is where essentially mankind will be able to put forth 13 heroes over the last 7 million years of mankind. They will be able to put forward 13 heroes and the gods will put forward 13 gods, or their contestants. I don't think they have to specify that they have to be gods. They're probably going to be gods anyways. But uh, 13 gods versus 13 humans. And so Ragnarok essentially is a tournament between those 13 on each side. The first to seven wins, wins. So if the gods win, mankind get wiped out. If, my, if mankind wins, then they don't get wiped out, essentially. And so thus begins this tournament. They uh, essentially, they tell... Uh, Bryn Hiller, you're going to get the 13 warriors. She's like, yeah, I got it. Cool. And thus begins the tournament. And the cool thing about it, though, is that your initial thought is, how can a human fight a god? That doesn't make any sense. So are they going to they pull some crazy thing where humans have the capability of, you know, being super overpowered? Do they actually have supernatural abilities in humankind? What it does instead is the Valkyrie. This concept that the Valkyrie themselves can become a weapon that the humans can wield that will give them the edge they need. And the other weapon that Bryn Hiller has is the overconfidence of the gods. That's her weapon. They believe that the humans are so weak. They're mortals. They can't fight. So they're going to let their guard down, and that's the, that's the opportunity for them to win. And thus, again, begins this whole kind of fighting. The, the first fight they have is Lubu versus uh, Thor. And that kind of starts this idea of this is these are incredibly powerful gods. How can they possibly overcome them? And <laughs> I will admit, 
I'm not a huge fan of the art style. I think it works for what they're doing here because you do have like these big muscly people having to fight each other. So this over the top muscly look does technically work. So it grew on me and I started liking the art style as it went along. I give Graffinica huge credit for keeping that what looks like animated. I I don't imagine them taking these huge broad shoulders, these huge broad shoulder overpowered muscly people and constantly having them be able to like do crazy animation. So it does a good, it does that whole thing where it tries to hide a lack of animation with like really kind of impactful looking stills. And whenever it does move, it looks good. So I give Graphinica a huge credit for being able to make this look like it's moving. Like there is impact, there is sound Everything is kind of clashing. But the only thing I have a misgiving for is one of the one of the goal, I think it's her name is. Goal is like one of the Valkyrie, and she doesn't like look at her art style. It doesn't match anything. It's like this random Moe girl just like pops out of nowhere, and everybody else is like super high detail, very chiseled faces and everything. Even Brittany Hilda doesn't look anything like Goal. So that's the only thing I'll kind of give it a little bit. I mean, I like Gull. I think she's like that. She's the straight man, basically. She's like the, this is absurd kind of character. <laughs> like, you can't, this is not going to happen. Brunhilder's over there looking sadistic, like, yes, we're going to do this. We're going to kill these gods. And she's just over there like, we're going to lose. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're all going to die. Um, there was a lot more personality Brunhilder than I thought they would give her. And I, what I what I especially liked about the fights themselves, and there, there's this thing where kind of as it goes along, there's two attributes that are kind of being presented can a human kill a god? If a human kills a god, what does that mean to the gods? Like, if I were a god, and I realized suddenly out of nowhere, hey, they can actually kill us. Let's wipe them out. Yeah. And that, that stuff is it's, it's something that's currently presenting, and it sucks because this is not finished. They These these fights are long. They're, they're probably a good four episodes, I would say, each fight. So they really only got through free, three fights so far. And... So it's already got me kind of hooked to what they could do going forward. The concepts outside the tournament. And this is coming from a person that does not like tournament arcs. This show is literally just a tournament. And I'm loving it. Like, I, I really am enjoying this series. And I wasn't really sure early on. And I, and I think it was about the point in which uh, Thor starts to gain, like, a respect for Lubu. That I'm like, okay, cool. They're doing this kind of stuff. They're doing this kind of stuff, like the the respect gained through clashing of swords. The idea of of these aren't just humans. They actually can stand on two feet, and that respect gain plus the kind of stuff happening in the background. And then the and then it kind of in the second fight it got absurd, and I fell in love with the show. The moment Adam shows up in the show, and I'm like. Because it was like episode two, I think, um, Brunhilder freaks out because she gets a text that has a, – a god gets a text or a Valkyrie <laughs> gets a text about the, the lineup of, of fighters. And she, it basically reveals who she chose and who the god chose. And I seen Adam in the list. And I'm like, what are you going to do with Adam? <laughs> like, what? what? <laughs> this is a guy who, who just chilled in the garden and then had a till ground. Um, but what they did with him was so cool. Like, he was like – he was what made me fall in love with the show. Like, there was this one comment that uh, he was fighting um, Zeus. And I think Zeus asked him, why are you fighting so hard? Like, you're just a human. Like, why are you even bothering? Like, you're not going to beat me. And it's already painted that picture for the show. Like, there's no way these, these humans are going to win. Like, this is impossible. 
And Adam's like, why does a person need an excuse to, to protect their children? And then it hit everybody in the stadium and everybody starts crying because they realize Adam is the first human and everybody is his children. Yep. And the way they presented it, I was like, this is so freaking cool. And then they got, <laughs> they got into him, his fighting style and how he actually can fight Zeus. And I'm like, I love this show. Like, this is so cool. Like, this is exactly what gets me excited that it's absurd as all get. The moment that Zeus walks out on the stage, he's got... Um, I forget who it was playing like crazy fiddle in the background, and all these all these musicians are like that's Bach, and they're all going crazy about the beauty the beauty of how he portrays it. And then <laughs> Zeus is up there with like these shooting fireworks firing up, and I'm like, this is so stupid and absurd. <laughs> like this is over the top. Like as it goes along, it gets more and more absurd, and it still hits these really cool points. Like how do you take Adam and fit him fit him in with all the mythologies? Because Adam himself is under the concept of, you know, biblical. And monotheism versus how they, yeah, the, how they end up doing is they, they take it in a completely different direction and throw him in front of like the, uh, throws uh, Eve in front of the gods as being wrongfully accused by the serpent. And he comes in there, of course, they still go with the idea of her eating the fruit. So he walks into here. <laughs> I know I'm spoiling like, all these little moments, but I think it's like a portrayal of what the absurdity that I like about it. What does Adam do when she's in the court? He walks to the door with a big old basket full of apples, chomps, spits, throws the apple, chomps, spits, throws the apple in front of all of these different gods of different mythologies. It's 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 fantastic. I, I love it. And I, the only thing that sucks is I don't know if we're going to have another season and I, I want more of it. It, it is, it is one of those ones where it's so absurd. I almost want to get into the manga itself, but um, as you can see up on the wall over here, you can't see it um, too many that I have to wa read right now as it is. <laughs> I loved it though. I, I really enjoyed it. I was very much surprised. I, I actually went into it with the expectation. I wasn't going to like it. And I really did. I was really surprised. So I don't know. The absurdity does sound very, very fascinating. So just watch eh, it for Adam. We'll see. Just watch Adam. We'll see. Watch I, I, Adam. I don't. I don't know. I, the 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 I I'm very very much turned off by the idea that there's only one season and no uh, confirmation of of another season. So that yeah, I, I I struggle with anything on Netflix anymore. If if I get a bad cliffhanger ending, I always get really mad when it comes to Netflix because they always act like they're going to continue ad adapting stuff, but in some cases, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure if Netflix is even directly involved with this one. So I'm not, I might be throwing my frustration in the wrong direction, but it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. All right, Zombieland Saga Revenge is our next one. Streaming on Crunchyroll, running for 12 episodes, done by Studio Mappa. The source is a original, and the genres are comedy, music, and supernatural. And for those not familiar with the Zombieland Saga franchise, the first season pretty much opens up with a guy named Kotaro. He's reviving all these different girls of different time periods to become idols to perform as Fran Shosho in order to save Saga. This prefecture that he seems to seem that is going to have something happen with it, and he needs to have these girls perform, become popular to save it. We don't really know why, but that's, that's what it is. Uh, we have Sakura, who in the very opening segment, if you have not watched it yet, go watch the opening segment of the first episode. She's this girl that is inspired by idols. She wants to become an idol. And as she's going to go to school one morning, she walks out her front gate and is immediately hit by old truck coon. 
Uh, we have Saiki, Saki, who is a like a biker gang leader um, from I think the nineties. Uh, we have I, who is a recently passed or deceased idol who was on a stage and got hit by lightning, unfortunately. <laughs> Junko, who is essentially, I think she's in the 1980s, um, Showa period uh, idol. She was like a singer, soloist. Uh, Lily, who was uh, unfortunately <laughs> died from a traumatic experience, <laughs> and that was another one that was more recent. She was a child child actor? Yeah, child idol. Uh, Yugiri, who is like way back in the late 1800s uh she was like a performer back then or like a like a hostess lady i guess yeah. like a red light district kind of thing <laughs> and then tai who we have zero clue what's going on with tai i think uh kotaro put it as she is uh special because just because so yeah she's a little she's a little different <laughs> it seems like they all like start out as like actual zombies where they just like mumble and and want to bite everything and they all have this awakening time where they f- suddenly, you know, regain themselves and can talk normal. And Ty's like the only one that has not had that happen yet. So, yeah. And so these girls, as friend Shosho, work for Kotaro, who, again, just has them perform in order to, again, save Saga. And that was kind of the gist with the first season was just them kind of going around doing different performances. Uh, the interesting thing that was from this series in the early season was... The fact that there's so many different characters from different genres and different time periods, it's like a really crazy mishmash of different types of mediums they cover. Like they do a rap segment, they do heavy rock stuff, they do your typical pop idol stuff, and it's all like just this crazy mishmash of different types of genres and what they perform. With the second season, it seems like it's more focused on getting into each of these characters and their backstories and what they went through in their previous life. As well as really kind of finally diving into what is this issue with Saga and what Kotaro is doing in order to essentially save Saga. So, yeah, your your thoughts on Zombieland Saga Revenge? Um, the I, I I really did like what they did with this one overall. Um, having the uh, the first episode was probably my hiccup with this this season. Um. It went through an entire process of a failed concert, which they didn't really even reveal until later in in the season to let us know that, oh, yeah, this is what happened then. And <laughs> it was like, well, okay, that was helpful to know. Um, but one of the th- things that really did turn me off about the first episode was it just didn't mesh with what I was enjoying about with the first season. I couldn't quite put my finger on it and until a, the second episode when we finally resolved the issue that was in the first episode i didn't realize how much uh we relied on kotaro as a element to this show he he's while i do appreciate kotaro um and how much he adds to the flavor of the comedy of the show I didn't realize how much how much I relied on his his humor. Um, a lot of the girls are in a lot of cases they're reacting in a lot uh, to what he's saying, and so while I thought that the girls their their humor was good, I didn't realize how much they relied on him as the catalyst for a lot of their humor. I agree with that one, uh, Mamoru uh, Miyano, who is the 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 voice actor for Kotaro is he's a very eccentric character. And that was the thing with the first season was 
a lot of the driving force for the show with the first season was Miano. Miano was that character. It's kind of a similar situation to House, uh, the way of the house husband. And it was so funny. I was hearing um, uh, somebody else, another podcast, talk about uh, way of the house husband, and they were talking about how they enjoyed it. And then they talked about the live action, and they were making fun of the fact that they chose some random actor for that. And it's like, no, that's Kendra Suda. He is literally that character. Like, you cannot have that show without him. And instead of, you know, taking some random, I don't know, good actor, if you think that uh, Kendra Suda is a bad actor, and having him voice over (laughs) that other actor would look really weird. So instead, they chose to have Kendra Suda, who literally is the embodiment of the way the house husband, this Yakuza that is a house husband. The way you do that is just to have him play the live action role and you get that same voice, that gruffiness. And that's what Miano does with Kotaro in Zombieland Saga is he is this character, this crazy, over the top, eccentric nut job. Go, 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 go. <laughs> he's, he's Baka zombie. <laughs> that is his character. And he literally made the first season. Now, granted, I loved all the characters and the goofy performances they did, but him in the background pushing them forward and acting goofy every time they had this, the next episode open up, they would be in this like prison looking room. He'd walk in and tell them what they're going to do next. And he would do it in the most bombastic over the top way. That was it. And then, like you mentioned, the first episode, he's a depressed mess and he's off the side and all the girls are just doing jobs and he's depressed and they keep trying to pull him back in and he's depressed because he feels like he failed. And you don't realize that until later on when they actually do that. And I'll, I'll agree with you. That was my biggest, my only hang up in this entire season was the fact that they seem like they, I know why they positioned the arcs the way they did. But what you find out is that like later on in like episode nine or something like that, or it was like six or six and seven, I think it was, it's the backstory to Yugiri. That technically chronologically for the storytelling is, should be, should have been the first episode and the second episode. And then they should have done that later episode that actually shows them do this concert and fail and then start with the first episode where they're trying to pull Katoro back in. But I know why they didn't do that because they want, they didn't want to open it up with Yugiri's story because that would look weird. Like you just start the season and it's just her. That doesn't make any sense. So they chose purposely to push her and the failure way over here so they can open it up with the usual characters all together doing something. And I, like I said, I think that's a detriment to how it laid out. But in the end, I understand why they did it. It's just uh, unfortunate circumstances, I guess. And I agree. A lot of the 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 story that they did cover was well done. Um, after after that first first episode, you get into most of the main storyline. It, it they did really well. I especially love that I finally got a resolve on on Yugiri. Finally understanding where she comes from, what her significance in the story. And that was probably an she's important... She's always like a back, back Yeah, she's always character. been... I, and, and I've always wanted to get a... And, and to finally get that she's a, a legendary courtesan was just absolutely fantastic to, to finally ex- get an explanation of why they were calling her that in a lot of cases. She was fantastic. And I do understand the reason why they held off on at least her tidbit of the story, because that reveals something that is much more grander. Um, not necessarily the the failed concert. I agree with you on that that was out of place. But 
her specifically the keeping her um towards the latter half was important because it it revealed something that was much much bigger um, well wh- why i say that it had to be before them showing the failed concert is it explains why Katoro was so depressed yeah like it gets into what he is trying to do which is limited the time limited thing it's time mm-hmm. sensitive and so he feels like he failed because they failed that he doesn't have time anymore and that's why he's depressed but again why do we wait until why do we why do we space it out like that is the is the troubling thing but no, I agree. I, I, I think besides that misplacement of stuff, it's it's a it's a great series. I loved it so much, and I, it's like most of the show is like a culmination of each character having these great moments. Like we have an episode where we find out that I is inspired by Junko, which I know we had that intention with the first season, but you really do get to see it. You get to see Junko and what she's struggling with, and that fact that she is a soloist and she wants to be more like I. So you have that pairing of the two of them. One is inspired by the other one. The other one wants to be more like this one. And then getting into – and I love that when they showed Junko's backstory, it it goes back to that show a period of technology. So you have like the entire backstories in 4-3 ratio, which is like that nice little touch that they added to it. Um, her – her, and it's funny because I don't remember her much in the first se- – well, I remember Junko in the first season. She was one of my favorite characters. But I don't remember her voice as much as in the season like this she did season fantastic <laughs> for some reason in this season every time she would step forward in the, on the stage in front of everybody and sing it was like holy crap she just excels so much the rest of these girls in her voice it's so it's such a strong voice mm-hmm. and and it makes it credit to what she was she was a solo performance and that's what her thing and i love the smash it thing with her <laughs> you did say smash it Smash it! Smash it! Smash it! <laughs> his, smash mouth, it. his mouth is just <laughs> drops when when she does that. Um, yeah, Lily's performance. They they had like this whole Japanese got performance, which is pretty much uh, America's Got Talent kind of thing. And um, yeah, her performance on the stage, her kind of getting thrown a curveball and how she kind of fixed that was just perfect. She mm-hmm. was she was so adorable up there. Uh, and that goes to her her uh, uh, performance ability, and yeah. and she just did just destroyed it. Her ability to think on the fly was was the exceptional part of that. Um, Saki and her little kind of goofy crush that she had, and they got into was was fun. Uh, it, retouching on the fact that Kotoro and Sakura have some kind of connection that was every time they do that, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> it's like you know what they're doing with that. It's just heartbreaking. Uh, yeah, getting to Yugiri and her history was was great. I wish she had a little more of a role in it, but it was technically her story. Um, I think we more got a tail end of it, technically, of her life, which I think is the only kind of little bit of a thing that kind of feels a little bit underwhelming about it. But it still was – the significance to the overall story was huge. Um, the The last performance they had of this season was just – awesome so so fantastic the way they put that together them essentially having their popularity through something that wasn't intended by kotaro their popularity was their heart like their heart itself and what they wanted to do to help people was essentially what put them on the map not let's fill venues let's do advertising it was what they did like what what their goal was was to help the people saga and how they portrayed that was way super heartwarming um, it, it, it is one of those things where, and that was not, it's not so much with the first season, but more so with the second season was heart. Like this season had heart mm-hmm. and, it, and it was more comedy focused with the first season. It was more cool performances and mishmash of genres 
was what made the first season. The second season was heart with the comedy and a little bit of kind of hitting into the drama of what is happening with Saga. And so it, it almost trans, it, it, it basically transcends the first season. Now we'll say it's hard to match the, the, the rap battle. It's hard to match the rocks, the heavy rock scene from the first season, but they still did an incredible job with it all. And I, and I really do, I do really like it. It is so funny that Zombieland, and I, I think I mentioned this with our music episode for this season, was it, it the, the writers, the creators behind this, the person that's working on the actual composing the music and the performances that they do, Franchoso does, I don't know how they managed to do it, but they managed to pull all these different genres and like transcend them. Like the, the opening is a prime example of that. It's a very Sentai uh, opening, and they somehow managed to do it like perfect. And you're, you're taking all these girls. Lily's a very high pitch. You have Junko that's more of a deep. You have uh, Yugiri that's very deep. Um, you have Saki that's more kind of harsh. Eyes very kind of generic, not generic in a bad way, but very much so like idol, a typical idol. Sakura is kind of there with her as well. And so you have all these different pitches and stylings, and you're managing to mash them together in this really creative style. And I don't know how they pull it off every time, but they just they keep doing it, and it's it's fantastic. Um, ending was. It was a big O F U to the world. It was like what? What? <laughs> now the question I I is: know, I don't know what's worse, Odd Taxi's ending or Zombieland Saga Revenge ending. Both of them are pretty much like WTF for everybody. <laughs> it, it'll it'll be interesting to see if they 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 stick to that and just say this is it, or if they yeah. uh, or if they re revenge it in some way. Shape. <laughs> revenge it. Um. Yeah, it was a it was an excellent season, and I, I love it to death. Uh, my only criticism, and like I said, I, I do I acknowledge that it was a, a misstep by their placement of the story. But I think when you look back on it, it's like it doesn't matter. Like the fact that they had the episode one that way doesn't matter in the end because you know the whole story, you know the context of everything. Um, the only thing that I, I I say kind of muddies the entire series is I still don't like the CGI. I didn't like it in the first season. I don't like it in the second season. And it's not that it's bad CGI. It's just that they, they whatever models they're using don't look like the characters. That's exactly what I was getting like, ready to say. Especially Lily. I, it's I, like I, they, their head shapes and size and proportions just not there. I would go with proportions. Um, I, proportions, definitely. Lily was, Lily was bad, but I I noticed it really badly on Yugiri. Yugiri is bad, too. She yeah. She is way too big. Let me just say that for her actual character, and it was an eyesore. It and and I I don't I don't mean to be like it. Just are you body shaming? <laughs> well, what it what it was was it again. It, it's proportions. It's, yeah, it's all it, it, it it's, didn't it's fit jarring. her character. It, yeah. it was very jarring. It it was it became it became a point where my eyes were drawn to it over and over and over again, and it was mm, like. This is, <laughs> this is annoying. This is annoying. Your eyes are that's, drawn to it, really. <laughs> that's not her character. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that. I find Yugiri very attractive, yeah. and her character model on the CGI was annoying. And then, yes, then it started falling into the other characters. Then I started noticing Sakura was was a little bit large, and it went to the other characters. And and yeah, it it was annoying. It's just it. it it's troubling because I, I, I criticize CGI used in performances for idol shows a lot. Um, and it, it sucks because it seems like a lot of shows lately are getting better at it. And it's just this is the one that just doesn't seem like they're trying to, to make it better. Like I said, it, 
I understand why they use it, especially that last performance. I don't know how you could. I mean, you, yeah, I can see how you can hand draw that. I, honestly, I I think no matter what, it is a it is a uh, shortcut, mm-hmm. and I hate it. I really do hate it. But at the same time, a lot of sh- a lot of studios are getting better at matching the modeling right, and this one I just don't think they're doing it. They're just not. I think they just took the same models they used in the first season and said it worked. Let's do it again, and didn't improve. And it's been a long. I was at like 2018 that the first season was. You had three years to work on something or at least correct it in some way, and you didn't. That was my only. Again, that's my well, only issue with the season. And usually, when when I when I beef uh, with CG, it's usually yes, it is uh, artwork in a lot of cases, but usually it's because of um, frame writing. Um, yeah. when they, when they post-process it and they, they try to, to, it, it comes out as where it, it looks like it's jittery when, yeah, when the they're moving. Cutting. Yeah. The frame cuts. And if, if, if it's done well, it doesn't matter. I mean, you'll usually, a good example is usually when you look at a really high end video game and you can see it looks all smooth and, um, when, when the hair flows, it, it flows well. These, it just looks like big old stiff things on on lily's the side of lily's head as she's turning her head <laughs> um she might as well be having uh, attachments to her head so i mean that's that's what i'm usually talking about is is flowing rather than than things but in this case it was like like we're so- talking about the body proportions they, they didn't even look like the same characters you, the only way you would know their is voice. by their hair, their hair or <laughs> yeah the hairstyle color and, and voice and that's that's the that's the troubling thing that always comes with that is that reliance on that because yes that's that's the whole samey value of uh, anime art style is a lot of it's a lot of emphasis is put on just very different hairstyling and maybe eye shape that's usually how they manage to in anime anyways to really different di- dif- differentiate different characters mm-hmm. um, it's not like the real world where you can kind of see these subtle difference in faces that would kill an animation studio to really have subtle changes in face proportions so they they rely on the hair and the color and that's just something that just doesn't translate to the cgi's you can't just do that it there is there is still subtleties there and especially when you have a difference like lily versus yugiri there's way different body shaping there yeah and i think that's that whole kind of copy paste the bodies themselves it doesn't really work well let's just just crunch lily's size a little bit but leave her head the same size it's like no it doesn't work her head's huge (laughs) um but yeah, other than that, that's my only problem is that CGI, and it's it's not that significant. I mean, we're talking about very brief, what five to fifteen minutes worth of of actual animations versus the rest of the entire thing. The rest yeah. of the show is it's it's fantastic. I, I love Zombieland Saga. I'm I'm gonna miss it again. This is another one of those ones where I'm kind of sad that it isn't as popular as I think it should be. Um, and I think that was even the case with the first season. I, and I think the off putting factor is they everybody sees it and says Idol Show. Yeah. But this show is literally makes fun of idols. Like that is it, this is a parody of idols. Yeah, it really is. Right. It, this is Mappa's crazy, over the top nut job take on the idols industry. And like I said, it is not always just the typical idols. I think routines. it's 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 his desire for everybody them to be successful is hey they want a rock concert go out there and, and headbang and so they're out there going and their 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 heads like doing rocking that is not normal for a human because they're zombies <laughs> and they're they're also it's also making fun of idol shows in a lot of cases yeah. as well so yeah. the idol industry the, the performances everything about it and so it's like if your hang-up is that it's an idol show 
go into it the ex- expectation it's making fun of it technically so mm-hmm. there's a lot of parody shows that are parodies of things that you normally don't touch because they're parodies of it and this is the case of this one if you don't like idol shows watch it because it's making fun of the idol shows so why not but yeah that's uh zombie land saga revenge definitely suggest it hopefully we get another season <laughs> oh we've read about my my <laughs> poor my my she was, <laughs> she was, was so crazy Again, she's a joke about an idol fan. That's, that's the whole concept there. Uh, Eden's our next one. This one is on Netflix, streamed for four episodes. Uh, the studio was uh, Cubic Pictures as well as CGCG Studio. Uh, the source was an original. The genres are sci-fi, slice of life, fantasy. And the director for this one was Yasuhiro Irie, who, of course, did Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, Scorching Ping Pong Girls, and Healer Girl. And the music was done by Kevin Pinkin, who, of course, did the music for Made in Abyss, Shield Hero, and Under the Dog. And this one essentially takes place a thousand years after mankind has disappeared. Uh, robots are roaming the world itself, uh, processing fruits and all this kind of stuff. Uh, essentially all maintaining the world as they would before, with the kind of undertones that there is certain robots that believe that mankind did create them and their whole purpose was to serve mankind. Uh, most of the robots on the surface are just kind of existing with the idea that they were always existing. Um, it seems like the ones that believe that they were made by <laughs> humans and must serve humans are kind of the underground <laughs> robots. They have to hide and keep their their desire to see humans again a secret from the big evil overlord computer system. But yeah, at some point, two of these robots on the surface end up finding this capsule and they open it up and they end up finding this girl named Sada. And Sada is a uh, an infant at the time. She's very young. Probably not infants. More like probably like one years old. Very very young. Uh, they find this girl, and while one of the robots is like, we must report to you know the guards. Let them know that there's this human because humans are bad and humans are dangerous. They've been told that the they've been programmed that the you know humans are dangerous and they must be you know taken to the overlords to to handle it. Well, the other one's kind of like you know, hey, she needs food. Let's let's get her food first, and let's 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 uh, give her a nap first, and. Kind of taking care of them. So the two of them are essentially over time taking care of uh, Sada as they hide it from the guards that come by and check every now and then. And eventually until she goes older and then at which point she kind of they, – they at some point realize they have to take her away from there. That She's eventually going to get caught. So they end up finding this group of robots that believe their purpose is to serve humans. So they take her there and they just basically raise her um, together or with this entire community of robots until the point that she gets to the where she kind of seeks out other humans. Like, she, there's got to be other humans out there somewhere. Uh, she ends up hearing a message that's played throughout this entire process of... She uses this VR system to control a robot to go back to where she originally was from. And ends up hearing a recording of somebody asking for help. So she believes there's humans there. And that she needs to go seek out other humans because she's the only human alive. She wants others like her. And that kind of starts everything i don't want to get too far into it because this is only three ep- or four episodes so it's kind of movie length but it's just basically her discovery that uh finding out if there is other humans what happened to the humans all those things kind of come into play with it uh this is a full cgi show that's probably the the big issue there i, I think they did a good job they have an interesting styling of it. it's very kind of a bright cel-shaded look to it um i think my only misgivings for the cgi is every now and then sada's character model kind of it it looks not good CGI character modeling for anime. Like, it doesn't mimic the anime style very well sometimes when she turns her head or something like that. 
But other than that, it looked good. Um, it's a very adventure show. It's very much discovery and adventure, which I really did enjoy. Uh, mix in there with Kevin Pinkin's music, it's going to just take it another level up. Um, he has fantastic music, and they use his music beautifully. Uh, so it's visually, the world itself, uh, everything's fantastic, besides, again, Sardar's model every now and then. Uh, there's some cool aspects to it with the robots themselves. I really did like the initial two robots. One is very nurturing, uh, very much like the mama car- uh, robot. And then the other one's more like the Sundere, we, we can't do this, it's dangerous kind of robot. And at some point you have this moment where the Sundere, we can't do this robot, kind of lays out all of his... He, he was pointing out that uh, Sara has always kind of mentioned that she won't do something with a certain look in her eyes. And he's been taking note of it. And so it's got this moment where it like lays out these time periods of every time she did it. And so you realize he's actually been taking notice of her, <laughs> which is really cute. Um, there was a moment where one of the robots was trying to understand why Sarah was deciding to do what she wanted to do. And they, she found this music or this video of humans dancing and she started dancing and they're like, why are you dancing? It's like, I want to understand human emotions, and I think this is a way of doing that, because I want to understand why Sarah is doing what she's doing. So that aspect of a uh, robot trying to understand emotions, again, is kind of similar to Vivi Flora Isong, um, I really did enjoy. I did kind of like some of the stuff they did with the backstory. Uh, there was a certain robot named Zero they get into later on, which I think they did some cool stuff with him. But, big, huge but... <laughs> this is a typical human's bad story. And it again, it's kind of similar to Vivior Flora I song. Do you do you hate it because the journey or the destination was kind of a letdown? It's different for each person. Like I said, I thought it was a fun journey, but I do acknowledge the fact that that destination being pretty typical post-apocalyptic setting, human's bad kind of thing is is very overdone. But at the same time, like I said, it was it was a fun little journey. It was very short. It's only two hours. Not much, you know, it's, it's basically, like I said, movie length. So I I, I kind of suggest it. But like I said, just don't be expecting anything, you know, groundbreaking with the story itself. The overall story is very typical, which I'm tired of the human. I, I, I've seen this human's bad story too many times. Do something different, please. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's Eden. Definitely uh, check that out if you if you would. Like I said, it, it's not much of an investment. It was it was pretty good. Pretty it's fun. too hard to write. Humans are nuanced. <laughs> humans are nuanced. <laughs> yeah, it's very difficult. It's complex. There's too many characters. There's too many humans. Ugh. Um. Yeah. Don't toy with me, Miss Nagatoro. Is our next one. Uh, the Japanese title is Ijira Naidai uh, Nagatoro-san. This one is streaming on Crunchyroll and for twelve episodes, done by Studio Telecom Animation Film. The sources of manga the genres are slice of life, comedy, and romance. And uh, yeah, this one opens up with a guy. They basically call him Senpai. I'm just going to call him Senpai from now on. Pison. Who are you talking <laughs> yeah, about? Yeah, Pison is, is named by uh, Gamo. Uh, Gamo. Yeah, Pison, <laughs> Senpai. Uh, essentially, it opens up with him. Uh, it it kind of shows that he's kind of to himself. Um, he goes to his art club. He does paintings or art stuff. And then at some point when he goes to a library to do some studying... Um, he realized there's a group of gyarus there, or valley girls, as you would say in Western terms. Um, these gyarus are in this library, all kind of just gossiping and talking really loud. And he kind of goes to the end of the table off the side and does his studying there. 
And at some point, one of the girls comes nearby him to grab a book, and he drops his bag, and it spills out his manga that he's been creating all over the floor. And so all these girls kind of swarm up, and they start looking at what he's drawing, and they're all laughing and making fun of him. And at some point, all the girls decide they need to go somewhere, so they all decide to leave. But one girl stays behind. Her name is Nagatoro. And Nagatoro uh, kind of quickly realizes this is an upperclassman, so she starts calling him senpai, and that's where you get the senpai thing. Um, but Nagatoro starts to kind of really kind of criticize his manga even more. He's, she's kind of looking at the panels and, and showing how he's essentially projecting himself into this hero of the story, and he, she tries to get him to kind of act out the scene just to show him how absurd the scene is, and he, of course he can't act it out. And thus begins this whole kind of common uh, this this consistent thing that she starts doing where he's trying to do his own thing at the art club and she'll come there to essentially tease him for different things and early on it seems like she kind of keeps pushing over the edge it's almost like she gets enjoyment out of making him cry but things start to kind of slowly change over time and uh, we'll kind of get into that a little bit so your thoughts on Don't Toy With Me, Mrs. Nakatoro, because I'm sure you're going to get right into that whole aspect really quickly. The first episode was brutal. Um, no matter how you look at it. Um, you can make an argument for a segment of the second episode, too. <laughs> yeah, you could. Um, it takes a little time to get really, what, really what it is, is I, it, it's almost like um, she – and, and in a lot of cases, this, this show is not about just senpai. This is about both Senpai and Nagatoro. And and this is one of the things that I do probably love the most about this show is that it while it is kind of similar to like teasing Master Takagi um Miss Ueno. Miss Ueno, it, it, a lot of those shows where it, it it's 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 this not a battle of wheels. It's a it's the girl has is it, it is so focused on this one character that it um it comes off as the teasing or she's trying to get him to focus completely on on her in, in every situation. One of the cool things that this show does that the other ones don't really do while yes, it's very intense at the very uh, first episode and a half um, is she learns boundaries. And I think that that's one of the coolest things about that, that, that first first episode and a half where while it was really rough to get through it um it what because it, it i mean i'm sorry it, it it brought up all kinds of bullying situations in my past that i was like did i misinterpret a lot of those things it, it, <laughs> you know <laughs> no chris i don't think i don't think a tan girl was trying to get it with you um but no it, it is uh one of those things it's like she did change over the course of the show and and towards the end i mean it, it we get a massive payoff at the end that that i wasn't i i kind of seen it coming but at the same time i wasn't seeing it coming because it it's one of those that you you can feel this is this is just their their routine from after after you get through the first couple of episodes their routine is pretty much set in stone and you understand how they play on each other and that that it works he's growing as a person and she's actually growing as a person as well where she's learning that what it is that she really wants in life it may not necessarily be just being a bully it's she likes this one particular character and she likes playing with him for a lack of a better term but um 
it, I, I did like the way that this show came out, and and I, I love Nagatoro. I, I actually kind of like some of the other uh, Garus. Uh, they're they're kind of goofy Sakura in their own way. Twisted. <laughs> Sakura is scary as hell. <laughs> Sakura is going to get somebody killed. <laughs> no, I, I think the the thing that was so transcending with this one versus the you know several other the growing popular uh, genre, which I call the teasing girl genre, that I think is going to be a hit. Eventually, <laughs> everybody asked me what the next big hit's going to be. You know, he guys the current one. It's like it's going to be the teasing girl um, because there seems to be an increase of it. But the thing that I think kind of makes this take a different angle than the other teasing ones, like you know, teasing Master Takagi-san or uh, don't toy or don't toy with me. Let's <laughs> say don't toy with me, Miss Ueno. Uh, Miss Ueno wants to hang out, or no, Yuzaki-chan wants to hang out. <laughs> That's the other one I was thinking. Ueno, Miss Ueno, Miss Ueno is the. Uh, yeah, you're a mess, Miss Wayne. You're a mess. Like that. Yeah, that was that series. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> Anyways, the um, the thing that makes it kind of different than those ones is there's no pre-established relationship. Mm-hmm. Like especially with Takagi-san, it's you've seen they've been with each other for a while. It just jumps right into it, and you're getting the point in which you know Takagi's already pretty much technically trying to get with him. He she has interest in him. She wants to she wants to be with him. Um. Uh, the the thing with this one, Zaki Chan, they were they knew each other from their previous school. Now she's in college, and he's a year ahead of her. With this one, you're getting the relationship established. Like this is the starting point. And I want to the the what I got from this, and I think I'm I'm assuming most everybody else got from this is Nagatoro was te- was bullying him. Yeah, like she was a bully. The episode is pretty darn clear. With the first episode, she likes making him cry. She's trying to make him cry. She's getting to that point. It wasn't until, I think, again, at the end of the, the second episode, you finally see her realize that's the breaking point. Do I want to do that again? Like, I, yeah, I'm getting she, him there. I think, And then she stops. She was a bully. And that's what makes the first episode difficult. Unless you're, like, super crazy into the sadistic, you know, tan girl punish me kind of thing until I cry. Which I'm sure there's pl- that was probably what the selling point with the first volume was of the manga. You don't realize that that's the turning point to her liking him. You realize really quickly when it shows scenes with her and other boys, she's very cold. She's cut off. She's very short with them. Like, no, I don't want to do that. No, thank you. And then he's constantly thinking, okay, now she's going to do this. No, it's because she only does that with you. She's only comfortable when she's alone with you. She's different with other people. And it was like one of those things where it kind of started striking that nerve of like, so when the other girl starts showing up, is she going to go back to, te- you know, bullying him? And she was fighting with herself. I loved it. Like, that whole aspect of the other girl goes to touch him, and she has that, like, cat like Her jealous face is the cat face. <laughs> and I, I loved it. And it was it was great because at some point I was trying to figure out, is, is this one of those cases where she's going to be trying to push him to be different? Is she Does she want him to grow basically brass? Does she want him to brass up? And it was so cool because they had one point where he finally kind of grasses up. And I think it was like my favorite scene in the entire series. He kind of walks forward and says, let's go. Like he stutters. He's like, let's go. And she and he's and he's like, I'm not sure what's going to happen. And it, it cuts to her and she's like, yeah, let's go. And I'm like, yes, she acknowledged it. It was such a great scene. So it's like, this is so funny because we're talking about anything but the comedy. And it's supposed to be a comedy show. <laughs> but it's that's the thing. It's like this is what the this is the unique aspect of this show is – a bully turned romance and the driving point throughout all that bully to romance is the comedy 
The comedy is the train that it's driving through the story of this budding romance. And it was really cute in that regard. It, it is it is a it is something that I'm I was terrified of coming into because I yeah, literally first episode I was like, if this is it, I'm not gonna watch this. Like <laughs> I'm sure everybody out there, no, no matter if you were in high school, you were the the jock or whatever, some point most every single person's had their experience being the bullied, and it's not fun. And to take that and turn into something, I'm fine with that, that's like the aspect of violence. Like, I'm fine with the violence, especially if it's just over the top, be violence for the sake of being fun and entertaining. But in most cases, I'm looking for violence for the sake of telling a story. Yeah. Like, 86. That is violence. That is segregation. That is racism. To tell a story. I'm fine. I'm I'm fine with it utilizing it if it can tell me a cool story. I'm not fine with it doing it just to be it. Yeah. And this was doing this for the sake of telling this budding romance. Yeah. And I then mean, once you get comfortable with it, it's like suddenly out of nowhere, I'm enjoying this goofy teasing. I, I love every time that she tries to push him into something. And then he finally goes, okay, fine, I'll do it. And he turns around and then she freaks out and runs out the door, embarrassed. It's like every time that happens, it is, it's, it's gold. Like it, yeah. that it, after we got past the bully segment, I loved it. I, I think that she's absolutely adorable. Tangirl, best girl, obviously, as always. But. <laughs> It wasn't until we got that established. Yeah, it, it, it it's one of those things that you you really feel as you get get a couple of episodes in, you really do feel the the interplay between the two and that and how they balance each other, and it it it, it works really really well. Out of curiosity, a, a, a silly little thought because at the first couple of the the teasing girls, um, we we separated from this show. But what would you put um, Tenori Noseki-kun as? I didn't watch enough of that as, as you did. I think I watched maybe like – I think I watched the first season of I it. I thought you watched the whole thing with me. I didn't really – I wouldn't really call that a teasing. Well, call. at first. It's, a, it's an observe, observe, yeah, we, observe we, the absurdity. The first, show. The first couple of uh, – the first – I think it was um, Teasing Master Takagi-san. We compared the two it, or another one that came out that was very similar to the two and we put the two together, but now we don't even bring up Seki-kun anymore because it's, it, that's not even te- like, like you were saying, that's not teasing girl. Yeah. Teasing is a specific thing. It's yeah. the idea of the unwanted tension and you don't realize it's love. Yeah. And, and, and that was the funny thing is like, like I, I said, think, that one's more observe the absurdity. Yeah. With and, a straight band, it, straight it, it, it was one of those things that I think that we. I, it seems like uh, uh, it seems like teasing master. I we compared the two, but then after that, everything else started comparing to teasing master Takagi son. So, <laughs> well, no, I, I think I think that was probably a drawn comparison there because it there's other elements to it besides that that is equal, and that's the kind of the the budding uh, the budding young pup love kind mm-hmm. of thing, uh, just kind of the skit base element of it. Yeah. That definitely is equal to something like TZ Master Takagi-san. It's just, yeah, until we started getting, you know, Ueno and Izaki-chan and stuff, that's when it turned into... Ueno, Ueno, this is I the could... focus, the teasing aspect. Yeah, Ueno I could put over into the, the Seki-kun because it's it's more about the reaction to the absurdity. Um, it's not so much the teasing. Now, yes, she is focusing a lot of attention on on the main guy, but... It is 
more about just the absurdity of the entire situation more than it is about the focusing attention on inability him. to communicate your love. Yeah. <laughs> look under my skirt. <laughs> really want to look that girl. Skirt. That girl is a mess. Uh, make a, make a romance robot and then get jealous of the robot. <laughs> yeah. But no, this is, this is a really great series. I'm, I'm glad I kind of stuck through that first. And it was so great. Cause this is kind of one of those moments where the, this is like one of the only moments where the community itself of, we have our issues with source material people. Because they are the, I have to rush in there and tell you about the story. And you're like, no, I, I, I just want to experience myself. But this is one of those cases where they technically came in good. And the idea that they all kind of came in and said, just keep watching. <laughs> and you're like, well, that kind of, yes, again, that kind of spoils it. But at the same time, it's like, but I that one was a, that. you rescued, you rescued <laughs> this show. Like, yeah. I, I honestly, I honestly, if we didn't have that perspective, I don't know if Chris would ever touch the second episode. Because that first episode was rough yeah right i mean we we try to watch at least you know three episodes of anything at least four or so because that's where that turning point is not really so much it's, it's the it's the hanging point because that's the concept of the three the three episode rule is that it's got to get it's going to have its reveal in the third episode that rarely ever happens but it establishes a a chemistry it establishes a concept at least mm-hmm. and unless it bait and switches like something like you know i don't know punchline or something like that you got a pretty good idea what you're getting into. And this is one of those cases where thankfully that was like a, that push, like, okay, so well, even, obviously it's going to turn into something else. Well, even when I had mentioned it to Andrew, when we were first talking about it and I was like, I cannot get a read on her. I can't, <laughs> I cannot get a read well, that on was, her. That was the struggle was like early on. It was like, this is that, and it, this is, this is like pre moving back over here. So we were like constantly talking through, you know, after podcast recordings. And it was like, that was that concept of like there's there's only like so many different directions I could see this going. Either it's a he's eventually going to turn into a you know a sadistic like what is it not masochistic yeah. where he likes it like mm-hmm. he's going to eventually turn into where he just likes it and I'm like oh, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to turn into her again kind of realizing she likes him. It's the the teasing into oh well I actually enjoy being with this person. So it was like I, I – or it's going to just be a bullying story where people enjoy this because they like the whole concept of somebody being bullied and yeah. she's super cute. So it's OK. If she was not super cute, we would not be OK with it. And, I, and, and just to be clear – she's hot and she's tan <laughs> that it's OK to watch her bully this guy. If she was ugly and huge, you would be like, this show – this chick is stupid. <laughs> now, now, just to be clear, to, to, to give you an idea that no – there is no holds barred in anime, OK? Miru tights – um, uh, look at me while you're, uh, disgusted. Yeah, it, it's a thing. So why wouldn't they do that with this? So n- nothing's off, uh, no holds barred. So yeah. You forgot the biggest one, Chris. Pupa. <laughs> <laughs> the bodily consumption, uh, fetish, which is a thing, apparently. <laughs> Literally eat me. Uh, don't toy with me, Miss Nagatoro. Definitely uh, a suggestion there. Cute, cute little show. And our last one is Odd Taxi, saving like the biggie one for the end. Apparently, um, that just happened. I'm sorry. I I try to space them so I don't talk. Like I, I try to make it to where it's like a show that only I watch, so I don't have to talk straight for a long time. But yeah, Odd Taxi. This one screened on Crunchyroll, ran for 13 episodes, done by Studio Ola M and PICS. This was an original series. 
This genre is our mystery and slice of life. And this one follows a cab driver named Otakawa. And he's like an, a walrus guy. He just drives around his, his taxi cab. He really kind of enjoys his job. Uh, a lot of people, including like his, uh, his doctor, Goriki, he kind of points out the fact that he has like this really good memory. Like he, if he sees somebody, he can recognize them in a crowd. He's got this really good, like almost photo- photographic memory kind of thing. So it's kind of an interesting thing about him. His little quirk is that he's able to kind of really tell people from a crowd if he's met him once. But um, in the background, you get these news reports about this missing high schooler. And so the the town, this the cityscape is kind of has this this gossip happening around this girl that's missing. Um, we really quickly find him when he goes back home. You you kind of get this indication from him talking to somebody that's in his closet. So it kind of hints at this idea that. <laughs> This girl might be hidden in his closet. Not really sure why she's there or whatever, but um, it kind of keeps going along with that. Uh, at some point, he has a run-in with this uh, criminal that's in the area named Dobu that is getting a lot of attention by this guy that's trying to make it big on social media. Uh, we also get – we meet the Diamond Brothers, which are these two brothers who uh, are police officers. One of them seems kind of shady. <laughs> seems like a, one of those kind of shady police officers that will help out you know, bad guys um there's an idol group the mystery kiss which is this you know up and coming idol group that's got this big huge fan named imai uh who rides in adakawa's taxi at some point uh he has a friend of his named edgy who is trying to find love so he's always skimming like you know different uh dating sites and ends up finding this one girl that he tries to pursue um i think that's pretty much a culmination of most of the characters that they kind of introduced the series this, this, and this is kind of going to get into the, the difficulty of really kind of expressing the story here. Um, I think I put it best in my first impressions of this show where I got huge, huge uh da vibes. And for those who have not watched Dudadada, it's basically this idea of this big city, big bustling city, and you have all these characters who have seemingly minor stories, but the creativity and what they absolutely mastered with odd taxi is having all these different stories intertwine at different points. And of course, obviously the big connecting point is Otakawa. He's a taxi driver. So obviously he's going to move people around a lot. And so their stories end up kind of intertwining through their travels with Otakawa. So yeah, you technically would never really ever see a, a police officer interact with an idol, uh, with an idol group. But the interaction happens through them getting into the cab to go somewhere with Arakawa, and eventually later on he runs into one of the police officers because they stop him at a checkpoint. And how they interweave those stories was absolutely fantastic. Obviously, the the early on it seems like a lot of the focus of this intertwining is people trying to figure out what happened to this missing high schooler. Does somebody have, is he in Arakawa's house? Um, is he, you know, has something to do with the police? Was he involved with Eiji and his attempts to find love? Um, was he involved with Dobu, who is this criminal? Was he involved with Goriki, who is this, uh, this, uh, medical practitioner? How those interweave Tanaka, this random guy who really badly wants to kill Arakawa. Why does he want to kill Arakawa? Well, here's these interweaving elements that eventually led to him wanting to kill Otakawa, who is just seems like a taxi driver. Why would he want to kill a random taxi driver? And that's really, like I said, that is... I, I, how do I express this? This this story is perfect. 
Like, this is a perfect anime. This is a 10 out of 10 anime. This will have to figure out some way of fitting in my top 10 lens list. And, and it, it's really a factor of I – several elements. One, I, 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 I am completely fascinated by with stories that manage to take a huge cast – Make a cityscape that you can somehow get lost in, that gets, manages to pull you into, but at the same time makes so many characters that you understand and want to follow each end of it. Well, minus, <laughs> minus the Homo sapiens. There's this comedy duo, the Homo sapiens, and I, they, they were probably the only characters I'm like, whenever they're on the screen, it's like, I, 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 I'm guessing you guys really think these guys are funny. I don't find them funny. <laughs> and their whole stick was that they're not, then people don't find them funny. Um, but even then, they still managed to pull them into and and interact with certain. Like one of the Homo sapiens ran into Tanaka, which is the character that wants to kill Otakawa at some point. And that interaction was that element of bringing him into the picture and managing to make him a part of this overall weaving of stories. But like I said, absolutely masterfully weaved, after absolutely masterfully portrayed characters. The world was excellently portrayed. Um, the mystery itself was fantastic. Like I said, trying to figure out where this girl went. Again, is she in Otakawa's house? Um, what is wrong with Otakawa? Because they keep hitting on the fact that he has sleep deprivation. It almost seems like at some point he has a split personality. And so there's a mystery behind the main character himself when he's seemingly just a normal person. His willingness to get involved with you know this crime group that you know, is very dangerous. All those aspects are just, like I said, just, I, I can, I cannot say enough how amazing this show told this story now. And the other cool thing was, and I, and I, I told Chris this the other day, I hate when shows, um, put story into books and audio dramas on the side because there is, there is a side story to this. And it, and it's, this is, one of those things where I I hate that it's a part of an audio drama that you'd have to go off to your, out of your way to check out, but at the same time, it's so cool how it actually interweaves with it. Um, this is not too much of a spoiler, but there's a pin, and I've remember seeing this pin several times throughout the show, and this pin keeps showing up with different people. It's a really kind of, it's a pretty big looking pin. It's got this kind of you know decal thing on at, at the tip of it, and it's so it kind of stands out. It's a pretty big pin. It's very colorful. And it keeps showing out different points. Like, I remember one point, one of the Diamond Brothers had it in his shirt pocket. And it's like, why the heck is it there? And the audio drama is essentially them talking about this pin and how it is with each person. And and you can also kind of track how it goes from one person to another. And there's a whole... It's not significant except for the ending. And that's the cool thing about it is, is that there's this kind of even after you watch the show itself, there is technically a there's an there's an alien egg hatching moment at the very end. There there is that thing where this feels complete, and then suddenly that egg hatches, and you're like, wait, wait, why do we just show that? <laughs> it's the Zombie Land Saga issue. It's the mm-hmm. wait, why did that just happened. And that's the troubling thing is it's like, are we going to do? I don't see this having a second season, honestly, because it doesn't seem like it's going to have the same charm with the second season. I'm not going to explain why, but it's not going to have the same charm if it goes into the second season. But at the same time, they live on a pretty significant cliffhanger. Now, I did with my impressions of the 13th episode. I did an impression video where I kind of explain why I think it's okay and I can kind of 
I can close the book and be fine with it. But then I went into those those audio things, and then I realized, wait, uh, I don't know. I could probably still go with my theory, and I could probably still be okay with it. But it it tells an additional story. It's not again, it's not significant, but it gives a little more context to a side character um, that's technically significant. But that's an addition to why I love this show so much. It is it is the mystery is so perfectly done. The characters are so perfectly done. The interweaving of the stories is so perfectly done. Everything about this show is amazing. And I, this is, again, this is like similar to Zombieland Saga. This is like very few people watch this show, or at least we're members of it on Miami list, which we kind of are, are gauging some kind of uh, uh, attentiveness to a series. But it's not seeing people talk about it. This is literally, like I said, a 10 out of 10 show. I, I mark it as a perfect show that I literally have very to zero qualms with anything they done with the story. And I think it is a masterpiece and it should be watched. Um, yeah, I, I think the only thing that was off putting when I first started, was obviously the fact that they're all animal characters like that. That is obviously the, probably the thing that most people probably seen the cover art and said, this isn't, this isn't an anime. And I think they captured the anime style, especially with the female characters. They have the typical, anime style trappings, the usual kind of moe looking eyes and everything. Um, and maybe it's off putting the idea that it's just a taxi driver, but it was so funny. Cause I, I, it, it took me until like the third episode I think was out before I ended up running into, I, I bring up his name a lot, nearly on red. Um, he, he streams on Twitch now. He, I, I, I followed him a lot during the re zero stuff because he kind of hyper dives, like super hyper dives into stuff. And he was covering this show. And I'm like, wait, why is he covering Odd Taxi? <laughs> it's just a slice of life. People get in this guy's car. They probably talk about their day and they move on. It And the first episode seemed like that. And then I noticed they had a mystery subgenre. And I was like, crap, I got to watch this now. It's got to have something in here. And, and honestly, early on, like I said, I was not feeling the Hope of Sapiens uh, comedy routines. And I kept playing them on the radio. And it just at some point, I don't remember exactly when it did, it just, it grabbed me and that mystery started ramping. And then I think it was a point which I realized how they were intertwining the story. I think it was Tanaka. I think it was Tanaka's story, which I think it was like the third episode. And it was weird because when Tanaka's story starts, it, it, it the episode opens up with him in like high school or something or middle school or something like that. And it was talking about how the, you know, obviously the kids had their own hierarchy of popularity. And he was talking about if you're not if you're not physically fit and you can get in with the crowd of the jocks and stuff, the way that you stood out from the rest and raised up in the hierarchies was by uh, different collectibles they were doing. At the time, they were doing erasers, and so him and this other kid were at, at constant competition about getting the most fanciest, coolest erasers. And I'm like, I totally remember like back in the day. You mean magic cards? <laughs> it was it was magic cards. I, I remember pogs. Pogs, <laughs> pogs were huge. And even stupid – and this is equal to the whole eraser thing. We had pencils at some point. It was different graphic pencils. And you didn't even – like we even had – we were like drilling little segments on boards and putting in our window these stupid pencils. And it's like – and I understand. It, it connected it. Like I, I, I get the stupid mentality. It's a stupid childish mentality they had. And how that – and it was like it was going through that and I'm like this is cool. And, it, and, it's, and it's weaving that in with the concept of gotcha games. And his experience with him trying to get this very rare eraser 
and how that ended up coinciding with him as adulthood in gotcha games, this idea of getting the popularity up and it, the ranking boards on this game. And eventually, like I said, how that interweaved with Otakawa, how that interweaved with a possible other character was super like that. That was the hook. That was like, this is, this is that writing. This is that insanely creative writing that I cannot get enough of. And it hooked me from that point on. I was sold. I, I was, I was getting comfortable with the character designs being animals. Um, it, it, it was just, it, I cannot say enough. Watch Odd Taxi. This is a, like I said, this is a perfect show in every way, shape, or form. Now, again, I can say, you can you can knock it on the idea that it has context to a certain character in a side audio drama, but you literally only have to listen to, like, or read the transcripts, translate transcripts of maybe two of those audio logs to get the full perspective of what they're doing with that story. And it just enhances it. It's like one of those things where just watch the whole show and then you know, watch a few of these audio or listen to a, or read a few of these audio drama transcripts and you're good. And yeah, it, it's that creativity that enhances it that. Yeah. Anyways, I need to stop. <laughs> go watch. Uh, if this episode taught you anything, go watch super cub and go watch Odd taxi. Just watch Odd taxi. It's perfect. <laughs> um, so good. So good. I don't know what we're gonna do with the next episode. I think we have uh, we have quite a bit in our next episode, so hopefully we have some that are as equally amazing <laughs> as this episode turned out to be. I don't know. Seems like all all the good ones are on this season or this episode. Uh, we have a big one in the next one, obviously, and that is uh, fruits basket. Yeah. That's kind of a big deal. I'm sure. I'm sure that'll. It's, it's not a perfect like odd taxi, but it definitely got me a lot of times. I don't know. Fruit basket. Uh, we'll we'll get more into it later, but um, fruit basket hurt me. Um, personal reasons, but it, it hurt. That that was kind of a. I kind of wish I'm I didn't trying to binge. hold back on this. Okay, <laughs> I wish I didn't binge watch that show. Honestly, it's just too hard to binge a show like that. Uh, as soon as this loads, I'll let you guys know. I'm just kind of delaying. Uh, Pretty boy detective club. Dragon goes house hunting. Fruits baskets. The final season. Hikahiro. After being rejected, I shaved and took in a high school student. Um, let's make a mug, too. Combatants will be dispatched. I've been killing slimes for 300 years and maxed out my level. I'm trying to go to, I'm going to try to watch Koikimo. I haven't got started on that one yet, except for, like, the third episode. Uh, Shadow House, that'll be pretty huge. Um, so my spider, so what? If that ever finishes. <laughs> Osamake rom-com where a childhood friend won't lose. The Slime Diaries and Mini Dragon. Okay, um... You don't have Tokyo Revengers on there? I don't know if that's ending. I, I've yet to find a... It feels like it's at a stopping point. Um, But they haven't like listed it as done. So I don't know what's going on with that. I don't know if it's going to cores or what. All right. Because that, that, that one was one of the ones that I thought I was going to be catching up on. But So your choice is between Pretty Boy, uh, Higehiro... I'm, I'm not. I'm, I, I, I seriously doubt that I'm in, uh, even close to being interested in Koikimo. It was um, cute the first couple episodes. So I'm hoping it'll continue to be cute. Right now, I'm leaning towards um, Pretty Boy, but um, Higahiro is also one that I'm probably. So, which one would you lean towards? Because <laughs> I was going to go with uh, Tokyo Revengers because I thought that we were going to be covering that. Higehiro technically is a complete story that literally 
finished apparently with the conclusion of the light novel. So if you want a complete story, he could hero. Pretty Boy Detective Club is technically not a complete story. It feels like a solid completion. If in, I mean, they can go further with it, but it feels like a solid completion. Well, it's a Monogatari, so but it's I a mean... Nisio Isin thing. So it's like you either have Pretty Boy Detective Club, which is do you want to completionist Nisio Isin's work? Um, but Higahiro technically was a more solid, complete story. Pretty Boy Detective Club did interesting things, but I'm mixed. I'm still thinking on Pretty Boy Detective Club. I'm I'm still there is aspects of it that are lacking. well. Okay, when it comes down to it, it, it would be me and you bouncing back and forth on it versus Higahiro. I guess we could talk about it off off yeah. camera, but it was it was. <laughs> I was hoping figure. for a quick quick answer type thing. Like I think Pretty Boy Detective Club is technically more um, has a lot more going for it artistically and narratively. Higahiro is more of a um, because I'm going to have to. It, that one is the other one that that Funimation wanted to hate me with and and cut me off of that one. So I'm going to have to force it to go through. The thing the that iPad. I liked about Higahiro is that it's a commentary on a taboo, and I do like that. So. I mean, honestly, from an artistic standpoint, Nisio said it's hard not to say Pretty Boy, but yeah, we'll talk about it more. I might can try and hit both of them, but it, what, there you go. One I'm going to focus on. <laughs> the answer is both. The, yeah, it, it, what it'll come down to is it, time. I, I'm going to yeah. be prioritizing one or the other. Well, you shouldn't have started almost Osamake. That's your problem. <laughs> your fault was that you started watching Osamake. Hey, I liked Osamake, so. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's it. Uh, that's, that's our episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. Our reviews, our first parter of our reviews of spring 2021 anime season. Um, thanks, Chris, for joining me on here for once. <laughs> Anybody that's on the audio has no clue what I'm talking about. But, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. As always, you can find us at talkingspear.com. That's where you can find all of our anime, new and old, great community form links at the top. Social media links on the right side. A link to our YouTube channel where you can find all of our videos if you're not watching this on video format. Or you can find links to our podcast if you're watching us and want to get our podcast link and all that kind of stuff. We hope you guys enjoyed, and y'all take care. Oos! Sun and haze got me, got me to love.